Check out our special Zombieland Double Tap episode coming out next Monday, October 7th. We chat with the director Ruben Fleischer to find out more about the new film. Don't forget to watch Zombieland Double Tap in theaters October 18th. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. You know, uh, in light of the, this this episode, this last episode oh of the my. Mormonism saga, uh, so much work has gone into it. But um, I had this idea. It kind of came to me as a revelation. It was kind of interesting, <laughs> this revelation. Uh-oh. I was speaking with Natalie about, I think within our own marriage, we should have a special priesthood that um, would require maybe some sort of like tiny bed. <laughs> <laughs> that I crawl up in a little little dress, uh-huh. and I go upstairs up to the top of the bed, and then she comes in full Warren Jeffs cosplay. Ugh. Oh right, and well this is sanctifies oh, me, <laughs> sanctifies me okay. in the temple of our apartment with Wendy as a witness. Unfortunately. That is disturbing, wild stuff. This is the last podcast on the left. Wild. It's wild, <laughs> wild stuff. Warren Jeff's cosplay, wild stuff. This is the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, staring at Marcus Parks. Hello. And the demented, deranged relationship insight that we just received was from Henry Zabrowski. And I'll grow out my hair as long as humanly possible. The top doesn't grow anymore. No, it does not. <laughs> the You'll sides do. And as they grow to the side, sort of like Mrs. Frizzle, I believe her name, her name is from the Magic School Bus. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll pull it back into like a ponytail, and I wear my little see-through dress. And the first thing I always say is, "I'll never tell upon the prophet." All right. Well, I'm not sure if Marcus approves. Marcus, what do you think? Your face is in disgust. I fucking hate it. What? <laughs> I can't Why the- remember the last time I hated something. So much. Are we going to start this episode with Henry in free speech jail? It's been so will be free. (laughs) No, I'll be just like Warren Jeffs in jail where I'll just stand for hours staring at the mirror and masturbate at the guards until they have to beat me with sticks. All right, everyone. So this episode is going to get a little... You know what this is? This is blue humor. Yeah. This is blue humor. It's a bit blue. It's a bit blue. We are in the... We are... Damn near the finish line when it comes to Mormonism. And Henry was not lying about one thing that he said in the beginning of this episode. The amount of research that has gone in to this series has been unbelievable. So you know what I'm going to do? Oh, and please thanks over to uh, to Joel and Rachel. They also helped out immensely on this episode. Yes. Got to reiterate that. They did a fucking great job. Thank you very much. Kizzle didn't applaud with his hands. He just stood on the chair and shook his butt back and forth. But I still want to say thank you for the applause. Um, All right, everyone. Well, let's jump into it. Mormonism, part six. Mormonism, part six. Is this Mormonism takes Manhattan? Yes, I think we're going to spend most of the time on a boat. And then we're going to go to one film set in Manhattan, and then we're going to spend all of our budget on one photo shoot in Times Square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, in this final chapter of our series on Mormonism, we aim to tell two true crime stories that are direct echoes of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young's actions. And both of these stories are modern day tales. The first story, set in the early 80s, is a tale of revelation and blood atonement involving a brutal double murder, Mm. while the second 
came to its conclusion just a little over a decade ago. That one is a tale of polygamy perverted to satisfy the pedophilic desires of the sociopaths at the top. Oh my goodness! I wonder where I've heard this story before. Uh, oh. It seems like yeah, every I mean, ten it years seem almost... to happen like a lot. Yeah, with it's not every organized religion, but you know, I mean, who's who's I to say? I'm wearing short shorts today, so I'm asking for it. Yeah, interesting. But both of these stories begin with one organization: the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, aka the FLDS. Mm. Now, when the mainstream Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints officially renounced polygamy in 1890 and later removed the Oath of Vengeance in 1927, there was a small subset of Mormons who thought that this was a bad move. Hmm. This subset believed that the removal of these doctrines was the equivalent of spitting on Joseph Smith's grave, as they still considered Joseph Smith to be on the level of Moses, if not higher. Can we not agree, though, that Moses is at best the B-minus figure in the Bible? Like, honestly. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Moses is pretty big in other holy books, though. He's sort of the he's, the, he's the top guy. He's the goat. If we're doing scales here, right? Because it's like, technically, Jesus, if you're going to put it in, in sort of the, the hierarchy of celebrity, Jesus is like a Brad Pitt. Yeah. Or Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. But Joseph Smith... As close, I guess, if you compare him to Moses, who is sort of more like a John Hamm. You know what I mean? Oh, I Where don't he does, know. He's successful on TV, but he hasn't really made the jump to film. Oh, my goodness. Well, you mentioned short shorts and John Hamm. Now I got to go look at, I got to go do a Google image search of John Hamm in short shorts. In short shorts. He can't my. even wear them. He has to wrap his dick around his ass and he has to put the head of it in his butthole so it won't get in the way of his legs. It's unbelievable. But also with this story, you know what this also shows me? The Mormon church is fucking weak, bro. That's what this is about, man. That's why the FLDS technically was right. Because Mormonism decided to back down on the shit that made them truly OG. They sold out. Well, it made them truly OG, but also made them truly evil. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Interesting take. Well, these people also had reverence for Brigham Young because Young had been the man who brought the Mormons west. And Young had been an unapologetic polygamist, a racist, and a violent theocrat until the day he died. Mm. And anyone after Young, as far as these fundamentalists were concerned, was full of shit. So... Those who didn't agree with the decision to scuttle polygamy and church-sanctioned murder formed their own communities, and those communities eventually became the FLDS, as well as a whole slew of other offshoots. Okay. Yeah, because you remember we had Joseph Smith III. Before a while, he went out there. Joseph Smith's other son tried to create a legit branch of the Mormons that mm-hmm. was didn't have polygamy. The Reformed Mormon craft. So we we've immediately, as soon as, especially after uh, when Joseph Smith died, Brigham Young won the competition to be the head of the legit church. But now he kind of set a little motion. And because it was under Brigham Young, Brigham Young helped get rid of polygamy. Then it became sort of, all right, that created the central pillar of what would be from now on legit Mormonism, the LDS, and then everybody else would scurry and run because why am I going to get rid of all my my hot, nubile Mormon wives? 
So to break this down for people who might like professional wrestling, I have a new wrestling show kind of fun. Check it out. Very good. Uh, NWO, New World Order. Uh-huh. Obviously, you start with Kevin Nash. You got mm. Scott Hall in there. Got it. Next thing you know, you got the NWO Black. You got the NWO Red. Next thing you know, you got the Latino World Order. Uh-huh. What I'm saying is a lot of splinter groups here. <laughs> Thank you for splinter equating group. it to something you truly understand. There it is. <laughs> now, the FLDS and their teachings are responsible for thousands, if if not tens of thousands of crimes since its founding, ranging from everyday tax evasion and fraud to the kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart, which will get its own episode eventually. Damn, that's a crazy-ass story. It's an insane story, and it's got its roots in the FLDS. Damn. But before we get to the stories today, let's acknowledge our sources. The first is Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer, and the other is Prophet's Prey by Sam Bauer. Besides being great reads, these men also played big roles in taking down the boogeyman of today's episode, Warren Jeffs. Mm. Disgusting. (laughs) Still, I mean, honestly, just like his fingers on your knee, checking the length of your dress, we'll get into it, but... He's disgusting. But even besides that, both books are full, fantastic stories, of which we'll only skim today. And Under the Banner of Heaven in particular goes into a lot of true crime stories involving the FLDS that you'll just have to read for yourself. Under the Banner of Heaven is a modern true crime classic. All right. They are true crime classics. I loved Prophet's Prey, too, as much as I read of it. Like, it, it is legitimately, I mean, it's very, very complicated, but it, it, it is... This example of taking down one of the the biggest American cults that continues to exist. And I don't know if I need to clarify this, but it's Prophets Prey, P-R-E-Y. Yes. Just so you know. Yeah, very good. It's a, it's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. It's, it's, it's a word. It's the different, but the same. It's I think it's a homonym. <laughs> is that, is that, I don't know. I, don't I think know it's that. a homonym. I don't think that is a homonym. Actually, it is a homonym. That's a homonym? Yeah, homonym. Ah. Two words that sound the same but are spelled differently and mean different things. That's a homonym. You passed the Marcus test, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into the blood atonement murders, it's important to give an overview of the sect of Mormons that consider themselves to be the true followers of the word of the prophet Joseph Smith, mm. the fundamentalist church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. See, the FLDS is a direct result of Joseph Smith's proclamation that he himself was a prophet of God and the sole conduit of God's word. And as we all know, one of the biggest tenets of Mormonism and, by extension, Christianity is blind faith in the face of logic. What that means is that after the death of Joseph Smith, any man who was able to convince people that he was talking to God was able to step into the Joseph Smith role and peel Mormons away from the mainstream Mormon church. Mm. As a consequence, the last hundred years or so have been filled with tiny prophets following in Joseph Smith's footsteps. And as often happens, these new cults within a cult resulted in murder, sexual abuse, or both. Yeah, man, because it's all about power on power completely unchecked. Because you have to believe that it's, you know, you're diminishing supply. So demand increases. This is a cult. This is cult economics. So what you do is you make sure that there's, you make it scarce, like where power comes from. Where the dude it has to be the guy that talks directly to God, that tells everybody else what God is saying. And so these tiny prophets, they gotta have a fucking kind of swerve. And an X factor, it's about bluff, it's about timing. You, it's like butt check. 
Because <laughs> I'm going to put it to you another way you can understand. Because it's about betting right at the right time and saying, okay, I'm now in charge. I know what's up. And you got to have the fucking, the, the way to position yourself. Well, technically, which we'll that's, see- that's not how you play blackjack. <laughs> that I mean, it really doesn't matter. That wouldn't really wouldn't matter at all. But you mentioned <laughs> cult economics. And I did read the book Freakonomics. Uh-huh. And if you go to chapter 13... It's called Cult Economics, and it's very exciting. <laughs> uh, no, none of that is real. But um, what? No, that is not real. That you is almost a- pretended like you read a book. I almost believe. I did read Freakonomics. <laughs> yeah, I can read book. I read books like that. I just don't like your fiction books about dunes. <laughs> it's, it is it, honestly it would teach you a lot about ecology and power structures because there's a lot of lessons inside of dune i'm rereading it and it is it is very prescient to modern times <laughs> well it certainly made you more of a human being <laughs> <laughs> well all of these tiny messiahs is actually nothing new in mormonism remember from the very beginning joseph smith had to tell his followers to cool it with their own revelations because shit was spinning out of control almost immediately Dude, it's fun as shit. Yeah. The guy who made, like, he just so did. If you were proper clever enough at the time and you see the Joseph Smith, he might just be making shit up. You realize, if I throw a couple of revelations in there, be like, oh, I had a revelation. We should all have popcorn tonight for movie night. Whoa. And everyone's just like, whoa, maybe he is talking to Jesus Christ. This is exactly what I was thinking. Could be. And following Brigham Young's death in the 1870s and the renunciation of the practice of polygamy in 1890, There were plenty of Mormons who were ready to listen to anyone who would let them continue their own way of life. Hmm. As such, a fundamentalist sect of the Mormon church began to emerge, even though the mainstream LDS officially says they have no connection to them whatsoever. Because as far as the mainstream church is concerned, Mormon fundamentalists... Don't exist. Oh, that's that's a clever way of getting rid of them, huh? Yeah, they ain't there. They, they don't exist. <laughs> like, I'm right here in front of you. Hello. They ain't there. And it's a really convenient way of not having cancer for a couple of months. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? If you just, like, pretend like you're not sick, like you pretend you're not throwing up blood, or you pretend yeah. like you're not coughing up blood or seeing blood, you can just kind of keep going with your days until you just drop dead. Yeah, yeah. that's why I went to the doctor, and they were like, Kitzel, you have cancer. And I'm like, nah. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Well, in this, they're about half correct. Now, they're definitely fundamentalist Mormons, but I think that fundamentalism goes against the entire spirit of mainstream Mormonism, which is embodied by the make up spirit that Joseph Smith had from day one. Because mm. if you've learned anything from this series, it's that Mormonism is a religion of evolution or devolution, depending on how you look at it, just as American Christianity has devolved from a collectivist religion of peace into a religion of fear whose rallying cry is fuck anyone who isn't me and mine. Hmm. But I, that's where we will, I think that if we had a theologist on here, it'd be interesting. I'd love to talk to a theologist. If there's anybody out there that listens to the show, side stories, LPOTL at gmail.com to talk about the the idea of fundamentalism because it's interesting because it's true i do believe the central tenet of mormonism from what we have read is the idea i'm with the concept of you make it up see who it sticks modern more liberal mormonism is them showing that this is our lasting power that we can we can move with the times we can evolve but at the same time the original stream 
of Joseph Smith's thought was a reformation, right? That we're going back to the original church. So every fundamentalist breakout, like the idea of we're going back to the original rules because Joseph Smith said the only way you can get to heaven, the way you, the only way you can be a god, the actual hermetic teachings, like the idea that the celestial marriages must happen in order for you to populate the, the outer space afterlife you're supposed to go into is have many, many wives. So they, so they are constantly also revolving back. So I don't know what the actual true nature of Mormonism is. I don't know if it is this people constantly seeking, no, we have to go back to the original thought, or is it the side that says, no, you know, gays are cool now. It's cool. We're, no, we're super We're super cool. We had a hip-hop song with a full-on beat. Uh, Mr. Zabrowski... Um, you're at the DMV, so did you did you want to get your license renewed or? I want to ride a horse. You want to ride a horse? We'll just stand there. We'll take a quick picture. And you said you're you're five six. Is that right? God damn it! I'm gonna come over there. Well, the Mormon Church. I mean, it has evolved throughout the years, and the ways that Mormon Church always evolves is whatever is going to help them get to the next level. Every time something in their own belief system threatens their existence, the Mormons get rid of it. When the United States government threatened to take away all their assets because of polygamy and refused to let Utah become a state in the union, they got rid of it. Right. When it came to be 1978, and most people in America were starting to think like, oh, black people are people too. They got rid of all of the racism and on and on and on. And even now, like they now that the general mood of the country is switching towards acceptance of gay people, now they're starting to move towards that too. The Mormons will throw away anything if it means they survive. They have changed on the outside. But on the inside, polygamy has just been sent deeper into the afterlife mm -hmm. because of what we talked about last week, where just the idea that Women cannot be unsealed from their marriages, even ceremonially. They can get divorced, but they are forever spiritually bonded to the men in the afterlife, creating the same polygamous harem for them to populate whatever planet they get. So it's clever. Where blood atonement, they have really gotten rid of blood atonement. Yeah. They don't. They don't like it no mo. But at the at the the whole the, the weird many wives thing is still a ghost that haunts them. Mm -hmm. That they just seem to can't fully part with they can't just cut it out of the fucking the mormon bible i'm gonna say it was a little late on the racist thing <laughs> yeah 1978 yeah yeah good yeah. fucking christ that was way behind mainstream america yeah it was yeah. i guess it wasn't that far behind utah though i guess mm -mm. not but the point here is that the fundamentalist lds believes that the evolution of their religion if they even think of it that way, should have stopped at the death of Joseph Smith. Or, at the very least, that evolution should not be in the hands of the people on the High Council in Salt Lake City. Mm. In fact, the FLDS, of whom there are over 30,000 living in America today, mm. they call the mainstream Mormon church, quote, the wickedest whore of all the earth. Oh yes. my goodness. And you don't want to hear them talk about Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> not, definitely not. <laughs> Now, the roots of the FLDS lie in Colorado City, Arizona. Originally known as Short Creek, this town was settled in the 20s by half a dozen polygamous families who are hoping that, again, isolation would allow them to live in peace. Mm. It's a nice piece of land. Mm. They got a nice mountain. Mm -hmm. I saw that one mountain. It's nice. <laughs> Eventually, though, the FLDS figured they needed a business arm for the community, mm. so they formed the United Effort Plan, a.k.a. the UEP, 
and 1942. All right. In this, the people pulled all their resources, and the trustees, again, were supposed to redistribute the wealth. And they did! And it worked <laughs> oh, yeah. out perfectly. Everyone got their fair share, lived happily ever after. So that's been Mormonism Part 6. And you know what a great series it's been! Now let's talk about how everyone got a skip it in 1987 from the beautiful, beautiful UEP. And back in 1942, the man placed in charge of that money was a man who claimed to be a direct descendant of Joseph Smith. His name was Rulon Jeffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he took it from a guy named Leroy Johnson that was another complicated figure, which is really fun. It's all They all seem to be really uh, complicated figures. Yeah. Rulon sounds like someone you fight in Street Fighter. <laughs> it would be a short fight. Yeah. Because you could kill him with a car horn. <laughs> he was pretty frail. <laughs> Born to a secretly polygamous Salt Lake City family in 1909, Rulon was raised to think that polygamy was not only God's one and only preference when it came to marriage, but also a central tenet of Mormon life. Hmm. So, after Rulon's mission... Mission being the time when young Mormons go out to try to convert people. Yeah. Rulon got a job at the Utah State Tax Commission where he learned how to handle money and cheat the system. So what mm-hmm. you want to do is you want to lick your fingers before you touch any dollars. <laughs> and then when you see a hundred, you smell it to make sure it's real. The big thing you do is you hand them a, you hand them a 20, right? You hand them a 20 when you go in and get to go in and buy some kind of candy at the store. And when they give you the change, you tell them. I gave you 50. <laughs> and, and they go, no, no. And I tell you, by the name of God, you give me $30 or I will marry your daughter. All I know is, man, it's great to be part of the Italian Mormon mafia. <laughs> well, eventually, Rulon married Grace Zola Brown in 1934. But when Rulon's father took Rulon to see the leader of the FLDS, Rulon decided that it was God's will that he become a polygamist. Oh, isn't that interesting? One of their central beliefs is that God is a dude, and that they still talk about this to this day in modern Mormon teachings, that God is a dude that received his powers because of how powerful his wife structure was, and that he was Mm. so exalted, and he kept marrying people in space and moving his way up the fucking hierarchy like like it's an MLM, God became our God because he got hired to do it because of how much how much juice he could shoot because he made enough children. It's it's completely true. So they are. This is where the fundamental part comes back. Yeah. You know what? I just want to say this. Kevin Smith had it right. God is Alanis Morissette. Dogma <laughs> nailed it. That's my thoughts. Well, remember, like Mormonism is a Gnostic type of religion. Mm. Like they don't have the God as mainstream Christianity does. They have gods they have a god they we have our god the god that we're all trying to get to uh and then there is of course the godhead above that but there is one specific god that they're trying to emulate and that god is in the form of a man no that god is fucking hardcore yeah and that's what they all look up to so but joseph smith as we'll get into he was way more of a he wasn't as into fucking no but he was more into being a prophet yeah some people they're super into fucking yeah well, the problem with Rulon's newfound polygamy love was that his wife did not share that opinion. It's a big problem. 
Plus, her father was a high-ranking apostle, so when Grace snitched on her husband to her father, Rulon was quickly excommunicated because it was soon discovered that he'd already married his second wife in secret. Mm. But this was just fine with Rulon because now he had no choice but to go all in with the FLDS. So when the leader, John Barlow, died in 1949, Leroy Johnson took control and ruled in Colorado City, while Rulon Jeffs took care of things in Salt Lake City. Hmm. There, Rulon lived in a house with 23 bedrooms, two kitchens, and 10 bathrooms. Damn. That's unreal. <laughs> These fucking houses are huge. huge. They did the walkthrough of Warren Jeffs' house. This shit's fucking, it looks like an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And that was just Rulon Jeff's first home. In his second, which was right next door, there were 22 additional rooms. And both houses were surrounded by a concrete wall that kept prying eyes away from Rulon's highly frowned upon lifestyle. This was in the middle of Salt Lake City. You don't really see this too much on the HGTV uh, home shows where they're like, <laughs> I want closed concept. Like, so closed concept where it's like 22 rooms like where you could keep people, you know, like... You know, not open concept. Like a prison? Like a prison. Yeah. As a matter of fact, could we just go into a prison? My big thing is that I my deal breaker on the house is I need a fuck room, like a central fuck room where nobody gets out. They only get in. Uh, so if uh, that's kind of a deal breaker for me. Also, I need to finish basement. <laughs> and Rulon had good reason to be paranoid. In 1953, a force of 100 police officers and 40 deputies, along with dozens of Arizona National Guard troops, stormed Colorado City and arrested 122 polygamists. Mm. Consequently, 263 of their children were put in foster care. And considering how the population of Colorado City was only about 400 people at the time, this meant that the town was pretty much cleared out. The Short Creek Raid would go on to be a a fucking turning point for the fundamentalist movement because they would use it time and time again to show that they were being prosecuted for their religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And the Short Creek Raid actually ended up being a victory for them because the, 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 it became like a states' rights thing where they came out being like, oh, they're messing with this gentle lifestyle. They let them do as they will. So they got like a PR bump afterwards. But what they didn't realize is just how much awful shit was happening inside of these communities. Yeah. And this was all done at the, you know, I I wouldn't say at the behest of the mainstream LDS church, but the mainstream LDS church was definitely pushing for this to happen. Okay. But the problem was the raid ended up being the 1950s version of the Elian Gonzalez story, Mm -hmm. you know, in which a young Cuban refugee was photographed being ripped from his mother back in the 90s. Concerning the Colorado City raid, the New York Times ran pictures of children being taken from their mothers by force on the front page. And as a result, the country, for the most part, sided with the polygamists. And based on that public sentiment, Arizona Governor Howard Powell was Mm -hmm. voted out of office the very next year. And by 1956, every single polygamist was back in Colorado City with their children in tow. Mm. What that meant was that it was going to be a very, very long time before anyone fucked with Colorado City again even though the FLDS always has been and still is a monumental drain on the United States government. These motherfuckers Ugh. have the system 
worked out. They sound like a bunch of background actors that know the exact ways to get as many pennies out of the union <laughs> as humanly possible. This is a good they, they, they are very smart with money. There's something interesting about Colorado. That's also the place where James oh, This Dobson, is Arizona. Oh, this is Arizona. Colorado City, Arizona. Oh, okay. Just like there's Colorado City, Texas, where I lived briefly as a child. So Colorado cities, huh? They're all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Color- so this is Colorado City, Arizona. This is Arizona, okay, yeah. good clarification. Yeah. Now, even though the FLDS sees the government as a satanic force, they still accept about $6 million in public funds every year. Satanic, fanatic, <laughs> fanatic. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> or at least that's how much they were pulling in at the beginning of this century when John Krakauer wrote Under the Banner of Heaven. It might be more now. Woo! In December of 2000, the FLDS was able to funnel enough funds through their county's public school district to buy, among other things, a $2.2 million Cessna airplane. <laughs> that's because they took care of their own when it came to education. Everyone's just fucking homeschooled. So they right. had no need for a public school. So all the money that came in for the public school, that's a real nice airplane you can buy with that. What did they do? Did they go anywhere with it or did they just look at the airplane? They used $2.8 million in public funds to build an airport that is almost exclusively used by the FLDS community. Do you imagine being stuck overnight? At the Mormon airport. <laughs> How boring that would be. No bars, no good food. It would be devastating. They have a game where you can jump over a rock, <laughs> which is kind of fun. That's a time but killer. The, uh, the, the story would be, I mean, because you are, there are many, as we'll see, there are many enclaves of FLDS throughout the country. So that's where they'd go and visit them. It's like their own arkansas airport like bill clinton had to run the cia's drugs through it's the same shit where they have this little fucking airport that they can go and zip in and out to uh, to keep their shit very very secret it sounds like x-men like cult edition (laughs) yes from your grave from your grave. To put it into perspective, FLDS members in Colorado City receive $8 in government services for every one tax dollar they pay, while people in neighboring Mojave County get just a little over a buck in government services for every dollar they pay. And the FLDS calls this system of taking money out of the pockets of Americans like you and me. What? And Henry. And Henry. <laughs> I don't pay taxes. <laughs> what? <laughs> What are you talking about? They what? Call, oh, uh, Henry, there's someone knocking on your door? Oh, uh, yeah, it's the guy. I'm a religion. <laughs> what? Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ told me I don't have to pay my taxes. He also cho- watch, he gives me the power to suck my own dick. Oh, my God. <laughs> the tax man actually disappeared. It, it worked, Henry. It worked. <laughs> well, the FLDS calls this system of scamming the taxpayers... Bleeding the beast. <laughs> and every single one of them see it as a justified and virtuous act. Isn't that weird? It's so strange. Isn't it? To them, this money is their right because they basically believe that God is laundering money through the United States government to ensure that his chosen people are well taken care of. It's like the way the Russians launder money through the NRA. Yeah. It makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> the U.S. government always has done. They always work hand in hand with Maroney. And Maroney <laughs> taught them back in the day, hey, a little bit for you, a little bit for me, because it's one thing that the eternal, heavenly, all-powerful God needs is money. Because he certainly can't just fuck 
fucking make it up or like just send it to people or make a bunch of gold show up, huh? Right? He needs real, actual money. That's why he's real. Unbelievable. In other words, FLDS members have no respect for the law at all and are perfectly content in making up their own rules because they believe that God not only gives them permission to do so, but commands them to do it. Mm. And when cults start making their own rules, that's when people start getting abused and that's when people start dying. Because unfortunately, some people need societal rules to keep them from doing awful fucking things. But, man, I will say, this is not different for the fundamentalist side of the Mormon church. They've always been doing this. That's how Joseph Smith started this shit, was <laughs> by true. breaking rules. He created his own scam bank. <laughs> He's been fucking teenagers the, the, all, the entire time. Like, so th- that's one of those things where the Mormon proper, the LDS, keeps saying how much better they are than the FLDS. But y'all started from the same shitty delta. That's you guys true. came from the same spot. But it was not official members of the FLDS that were responsible for the murder story we're about to tell. Mm. Rather, it was the members of a sect who were an offshoot of even the fundamentalist church, led by a man named Bob Crossfield. Cool. Crossfield became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1948 after reading the Book of Mormon during an extended stay at a tuberculosis sanatorium in Edmonton, Canada. I mean, really... He would have read anything. <laughs> He's at a tuberculosis sanitarium. Think about what he could have been. If he read a karate manual, he could have been a fucking leader of a dojo. He could have been read a plumbing manual. He could have been the head plumber of the White House. He would have been amazing. You know, actually, I've heard this story about Mormonism again and again, where people say, like, yep, I just had the Book of Mormon to read, so I read it. And by the time I was done, I was a Mormon. They should just put Dr. Seuss's oh, the places you'll go at every single hotel, and then you can feel confident leaving, saying that you can do it. No, they should put fucking Dune in there. No Teach one them wants lessons to about the Dune, ecology Henry. of planets and the, the, the true essential natures of linking religions and powers. It's interesting. I mean, hell, man, there was a Book of Mormon in our hotel room in Edinburgh. Oh, like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're all over. The, the fucking Book of Mormon is everywhere mm-hmm. think about this you just got done choking yourself while masturbating in a hotel room <laughs> you're looking at all the cum on your knees and you wonder how we got here why are you living this fly and then you see the book of mormon boom because you have all the stupid post not clarity mm-hmm. well concerning crossfield though by 1961 he started hearing the voice of god just like joseph smith had and god was telling him that he was the next holy prophet of the lord and mm. god's first commandment Bring back polygamy. Whoa. Got to. Got to. Soon after, Crossfield moved to Creston, British Columbia, which just happened to be down the road from Bountiful, which was the Canadian FLDS settlement. Hmm. There, Crossfield found he wasn't the only Mormon still down with polygamy. Ten years after that, Crossfield self-published a book called The First Book of Commandments, which was a compilation of the 23 revelations from God that Crossfield had received thus far. These revelations were mostly just criticisms of the mainstream LDS leadership, and when the LDS got wind of the book, Crossfield was excommunicated. How the hell did he self-publish a book? This is the 60s? 60s, yeah. What do you do? You just got a bunch of loose leaf, you tie it around a brick and throw it through no, people's windows? No, it's not fucking ancient times. How do you self-publish a book in the 60s? It's actually probably easier 
because they're smaller publishing companies that you go and just bring a manuscript to and you give them money. Like you don't have to pitch a book. Like you just give them a manuscript, you pay them money, and then they print the book. And then you go and you get the book out and then you, you just give it to people. This was him investing in himself. It sounds Which like is what it. we'll do on our book tour when we buy out pallets of our own book and just start handing them to the armed homeless. Yes. <laughs> that will give people our book at gunpoint. When I, when I produced over at Fox News for that year, uh, it is funny. They're always on the bestseller list for one week. Uh-huh. And every time a new book comes out by one of the lunatics that speaks on that network, boxes and boxes of their book <laughs> just ended up on the 18th floor. And then they were oh, a yeah. number one bestseller on New York Times. Never seen again because it's all a lie. <laughs> But Crossfield didn't care about being excommunicated. In fact, he wasn't even going by Bob Crossfield anymore. Uh-oh. God told him that he was now called the Prophet Onias. Oh, God. And God also told him that the FLDS was misinterpreting Joseph Smith's doctrines just as badly as the mainstream LDS was. So how does that work? So Monday... He's Bob. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tuesday, he's like, no, no, no. I'm the prophet Onias. Uh-huh. At what point did his friends just be like, you're Bob? Nah. I'm like, no, Dude. Bob. No, <laughs> Bob. So we're not going to call you prophet Onias? Marilyn Manson was Brian until 1991. <laughs> <laughs> well, since Onias started talking shit about the FLDS, they kicked him out as well. But Onias was fine with this, too, because he happened to own a little piece of Mormon history. <gasps> Onias owned 300 shares of stock in what is known in Mormon lore as the Dream Mine. Okay. (laughs) Is that where you show up and you're giving a presentation in front of your class and you realize you're in your underwear? What the hell is that? That's where I go. I light a candle when I go down there. It's the middle of Utah, and I do this once a year. You guys know when I go, I go off the grid for once a year for two weeks. Of course, yeah. I go down there. We always do wonder, like, what do you do for that two weeks when you're off the grid? I'll tell you what it is, and I, maybe I shouldn't reveal this to you, but it's the secret of every solid character actor in this country. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I go down to the Dream Mine, I light a candle. There's this statue of Brigham Young bent over with his hemorrhoid butt just kind of hanging out, uh-huh. and you put a coin in it. You put a coin in it, and you go down to the Dream Mine, and I find my characters <laughs> all living there in little, like, it's kind of a cabbage patch Interesting. where they open it up and my ca- the characters just jump into my mind. Isn't that so? It's just you, Paul Rubens, Keenan Thompson. Me, Paul Rubens. I remember the last time it was me It was because it was around 1998 because I was loading up as a boy. It was me, Michael Jackson, and that's where he got his new face. Oh, <laughs> It's very interesting. It was very, very cool. And a young Toby Hooper. Oh. No kidding. Oh. Well, to talk about the dream mine, we've got to cover yet another prophet. Back in 1894, the angel Moroni, who, if you'll remember, brought the golden place to Joseph Smith, he visited a prophet (laughs) named John Hiram Coyle. But this time, Moroni wasn't bringing golden plates. Rather, he was just bringing straight up gold. Yeah, dude. He showed John Coyle a vision of a mountain filled with treasure. Which you like rich- that dude? <laughs> you like that? Hey, he was all right. <laughs> well, that treasure had originally belonged to the Nephites of the Book of Mormon, but after the Nephites had squabbled amongst themselves about the gold, God took it away oh. and stored it in a mountain twelve miles south of Provo, Utah, <laughs> uh, all for when the last days on Earth came. That's when the gold would be revealed. Okay, God had a whole thing right. Where he's like, I don't want you spending this gold, but you could definitely waste it 
instead of using paper, you could definitely write a bunch of shit on it. And that's what we did, huh? It's kind of fun, where you got the gold, but you can't, like, spend it or anything. You can just look at it. But technically, only one guy can look at it. And everybody else, if they look at it, their fucking brains explode. God's funny. (laughs) He sounds funny. And so, Coyle gathered a group of fellow Mormon investors who believed the vision, and they started the dig on the dream mine in 1894. Fifty years later, they were still digging a hole that was by then... (laughs) 3,400 feet deep. Just Jeez. another, just one more foot. <laughs> I think we're going to get it. Just, all right, here we go. Well, look at that. What is this? It's like I, I'm, I'm sticking my head through this hole. I think I see a pagoda. <laughs> what is this? Oh, my God, boys. We made it to China. Whoa, awesome. But Coyle was not the president of the Mormon church, and only the president was allowed to have revelations. So, Coyle was excommunicated in 1948, and he died heartbroken a year later, thinking that his place in heaven was lost. Did they like gold because we were at the gold standard then? Because we were still a gold-based economy? Well, gold's always been valuable. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty, was man. Was anything with that? Because obviously nah, we've changed. No, nah, gold's always been a thing. Okay. Gold so is just like- pretty... It's been a part of the human culture since the beginning of what they found gold. It's easily malleable and turned into jewelry. So it's always been a precious metal. Yeah. Gold's just always been there. Okay. So yeah. nothing to do with that. And it sounds good. It does sound good. Yeah. Thing is, many people still believed in the dream mine even after Coyle was excommunicated. Hmm. And that included the Prophet Onias. Man, Prophet Onias does sound like, what's his name, Orion, the fucking Elvis impersonator. (laughs) Yes, I was thinking that too. It's a great documentary on Orion, by the way. It's amazing. Very good. So, in the 70s, Onias had a revelation that he should build a city at the base of the mine. This would be a city of refuge where his followers... And the mine stockholders could wait until the last days so they'd have first dibs on the Moroni load. Hmm. What was hmm. more? Yes. The <laughs> <laughs> what was more, Anias seemed to fulfill a revelation of John Coyle. Coyle had foretold the coming of a, quote, lightly complected man with white hair who would come from the north with whom the stockholders would rally and bring remarkable changes in and around the mine. And I will reveal to you, your prophet, it is Tim Gunn. (laughs) Hello, designers. It's the Make It Work MoMA. Wow, you really did go down to the dream mine and pick up some new characters. It's the Make It Work MoMA. So, Mr. Mr. Gunn, I see you're wearing your MK Ultra shirt today. Is that in vogue? Is that that fashionable this season? One must always do something different. I don't have sex. (laughs) Well, Onias fit the bill of this revelation perfectly because most of the other people who owned stock in the mine were totally down for this city of refuge idea. And building off of that, Onias began a school of prophets in which he said that he could teach his followers how to receive revelations straight from God. Uh, you don't even need me. You can do it yourself. Ah, the first trick is to fully flo- fold over, grab your ankles. Now, I mean this. If you just spread your cheeks in a way of making it talking, <laughs> I, I, there is, I foresee a man. 
I foresee a man by the name of Ace Ventura <laughs> that will be the true, true prophet. <laughs> Very interesting. And he called this school because Brigham Young loved shit so much, he actually called this school Logwarts, which is yes. kind of fun. Logwarts. Logwarts. Uh, yeah, school well, Very good. where we learn how to turn shit into gold. Very good. Very good. <laughs> so after establishing the school, Onias sent one of his men out into the world to find candidates, men who would be open to talking to God directly. Mm. And that scout found a chiropractor named Dan Lafferty. Why do chiropractors go insane? I don't know, man. I chiropractors is a it's a common job. Like that guy that killed his family and like like systematically killed his whole family and then tried to set fire to the house and was like driving around in an SUV with a change of clothes and shit when they found him. Like he was a chiropractor. I think yeah. that they just hear bones cracking every day. And at some point they just realize that we're all just skeletons covered in fat. And then yeah. they just say, like, what is a human being? Same and once would- it crosses. Yeah. It's like if you if like that story we told last week on side stories about the Pomeranian who got a taste for human flesh. Yeah. <laughs> now Dan Lafferty was a lifelong Mormon who had not been raised as a polygamist, although he was still raised in a strict arch-conservative household in one of the most conservative states in America. Dan met his first wife, Matilda, while on his mission to Scotland, and six years later, she moved to America for marriage. Hmm. But five years after that, Dan Lafferty became interested in polygamy after hearing a talk about the subject at the local LDS ward. Digging deep into the Brigham Young University Library, Dan Lafferty chanced upon the 51-page pamphlet on polygamy by Udney H. Jacob that Joseph Smith had published in 1842, back when he was still testing the waters on acceptance of this practice back in Nauvoo. Hmm. Now, to refresh your memory a bit, the pamphlet, entitled The Peacemaker, was the one who called having sex in a loveless marriage fornicating in the wife. Mm. (laughs) In this pamphlet, Udney said that monogamy was the source of unhappiness for most marriages, and those unhappy marriages were sources of evil in this world. Therefore, polygamy was the only thing that was going to fix it. Well, I'm going to say, if you do read the pamphlet, I started reading a little bit of the pamphlet, I'm going to use the word problematic. (laughs) Yeah, maybe something your spouse wouldn't love to hear. Furthermore, the pamphlet, although it was not written by a Mormon argued the Mormon belief that wives should be utterly compliant when it came to their husband's wishes, because taking Mm. away a woman's agency would make everyone happier. But also remember, if you're a husband, that's, I mean, I remember trying to explain this to Natalie. Husbands are training to be God. So that's what's important is that you have to be properly trained how to designate authority to your family. The children are for working. The wife needs to make the child. The husband needs to go to the space the, the space engineering firm and make the O-rings for the Challenger, which is what we'll talk about later on. So when are you getting a divorce, Henry? Soon. When's the divorce coming in? Soon. Okay. Well, I got a couch for you over here in Brooklyn, so. Man, I can't wait to not being able to lift my skin from that couch. Yep. <laughs> Well, Dan Lafferty took to the doctrines of Udney Jacob like a duck to water. And that's the amazing thing about this Udney Jacob shit, is that this was something that Joseph Smith published in 1842. Mm. And it had reverberations in 1982. Just like C. Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones blow the dust off of uh, the great book of like whatever. And he's like, I'm supposed to fuck a bunch of chicks, huh? No, no, man. I've been sitting here looking for statues. God damn it. 
Well, Dan went home and began applying the doctrines to his own life, instituting complete control over his family by forbidding his wife to drive, handle money, or to talk to anyone without Dan being present. Abusive relationship. Very. He took his four biological and two stepchildren out of school and forbade them from playing with friends. He replaced all medical care with prayer and herbs. And when their next son was born in 1983... Dan circumcised the child himself. You can see him just getting the kid like between his knees with the <laughs> knife in his teeth. He'd be like, all right, he's squiggling around. Come on, all right, let me get this. I'm just getting the tip, you little bastard. Come on. Good Lord almighty. Yeah. Then Dan removed all the clocks from their home, saying his family was running on spiritual time now. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. is this man a schizophrenic? It seems like he's having a total mental break. He's having a mental break, but I don't think he's schizophrenic. Okay. No, y'all saying mental break, I honestly don't think so. I think that he was always a piece of shit. Yeah. And I think that he saw a theological way to validate what he was doing, which is what all of this is a story of. All of this fundamentalist fucking crime is that they, they found a way to, to make it cool with the Lord. Yeah. To do whatever the hell it is that they wanted to do. And so and then they can use it. And unfortunately, I don't think he was uh, necessarily a nice man up until this point. Oh, I wouldn't And now so. he is using this as a fucking weapon against his whole family. Yeah. And when Dan punished his wife for disobedience, he would spank her in front of the children. Ugh. But what all this was leading up to was a plural marriage. And when it came time for Dan to choose a plural wife, he chose his oldest stepdaughter. But at the last minute, Dan changed his mind. Instead, he married a nearby Romanian non-Mormon immigrant named Anne Randack, whose job was to take care of Robert Redford's horses. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. How the hell did she get that job? Go to go with horses. No kidding. I'll tell you how old. You know how you get hired by an actor? You just kind of hang around. You had to make it really easy, because eventually it's just, you just stand near one of Robert Redford's horses, and he's like, who are you? <laughs> My name is Anne I'm a horse yeller. <laughs> oh, so you just tell the horses what to do? You yell at them instead of whispering? Yeah, it works in Romania. You're hired. <laughs> no kidding. I don't know who does my money. There's a guy over there with a big change purse uh, that just hangs out in the living room. I don't know. I'm an actor. So she was taking care. I don't know why. This is amazing. Yeah, she was taking care of that. That was her whole job. She at just, the time, she was when the, she met this maniac. She was the stable master for Robert Redford's horse farm. Okay. Ranch. Horse ranch. Whatever it is. But once Dan saw how much more he liked life with polygamy, he started wondering what else the church had scuttled. And after a little more digging, Dan Lafferty discovered the doctrine of blood atonement, Uh which got filed away in Dan's brain for later use. And Dan started inching his way towards murder by flouting other laws of man. And when the Board of Health shut down Dan's home sandwich-making business... Hey, he, he was an artist, okay? <laughs> and know, he was man. trying to spread his art through the palette of sandwiches. I don't think I'm going to want a sandwich from this dude, quite honestly. Nothing but mayonnaise or mayonnaise or mayonnaise sandwiches. What I, I do is I get, I get the bolognis, and I, uh, just, I just carve off the tip of them. <laughs> and I put them in big loaves of bread. I call it... Uh, I, I named them after my son. <laughs> That's disgusting. I don't want a sandwich made at some guy's house. It's made at his home? Yeah, it was his home sandwich. The, the Department of Health came in and said, you can't just make sandwiches at your house and sell them to people. I'm an independent business. That's disgusting. <laughs> this, is an, this is an independent enterprise. That is disgusting. 
So Dan quickly adopted Joseph Smith's proclamation that the laws of God overtook the laws of man every single time. And the laws of sandwich overtake the laws of God. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty soon, Dan Lafferty was proclaiming himself to be what? A sovereign citizen. That's it, buddy. (laughs) It starts to sound like Kissel on acid during her buddy's bachelor party. He refused to have a driver's license, pay taxes, or, quote, submit to the oppressive burden of a social security number. Forget it. Truly independent, man. And it all started with a pastrami sandwich <laughs> that showed him his way of breaking the yoke of the American f- fucking citizen prison situation. I don't think it was the pastrami sandwich. I think it was like the toenail that was in the pastrami sandwich that was like, maybe the state was right on this one. Someone had to have gotten sick. Someone had to have gotten really fucking Ugh, sick. God. And to tie his sovereign citizenship off, Dan mailed his driver's license to somewhere in the state of Utah, some government building. <laughs> Honestly, I just hope like some 14-year-old got it was like, fake ID. Yeah, yeah. Time to go yeah, to the flowers, baby. <laughs> he revoked his marriage license, and he returned his social security card to the federal government. And he thought that after doing all this... I ain't got to pay taxes no more. Of course you would. <laughs> Can no. you imagine? Yeah, how many times the fucking, the Fed must receive these, like, just envelopes filled with social security cards? And you're like, these fucking idiots. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll shred another batch of these. Dan even refused to pay sales tax in stores. I am a sovereign citizen. <laughs> you, all right, you said, all right, this shirt that says no fatties. According to yeah. the sign is fourteen ninety nine. That's correct. I'm not paying no fifteen eighty seven. <laughs> I want the eighty eight cents back in my pocket so that I can tell the world I do not agree with fatties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and now naturally this caused a bit of trouble in Dan's life. I would think so. On one occasion, he was thrown in jail after running away from a cop who had stopped him for speeding. Hmm. Then Dan blew up in court and was given 30 days after he told the judge, quote, In the name of Christ, do justice or be struck down. Am I being detained? Am I being detained? I will not be detained. (laughs) Am I being detained? (laughs) Then the government came and seized his home and all of his chiropractic equipment because he didn't pay his property taxes. Uh. Mm. But Dan was saved at the last minute by his father, who actually owned the equipment, and he paid off the debt. Okay. I will say, those laws, they're pretty pesky in the way they stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if you deny it, even if you just say, no, 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 <laughs> you don't de- I, I do not believe in these laws, so how can I be beholden to them? They still seem like they stick. Yeah, yeah it's funny, because like, mm. other people do believe in them, and then <laughs> turns out they tend to win. But Dan was not the only Lafferty in play here. He had five brothers, and almost all of them were starting to cotton more and more to Dan's polygamist beliefs. Those brothers were Ron, Mark, Watson, Tim, and Alan. Tim, yes. It's Tim Allen. <laughs> it's literally the, the second two are just one guy. <laughs> and the sixth was a Glenn Borland. Glenn Borland. What they did was they, they excommunicated him out of their own family. They kicked him out of the family because the name was too disgusting to be fucking said all that. Poor Glenn. <laughs> now, Ron, the eldest, was a latecomer to the whole polygamous scene. But the other brothers almost immediately started gathering at Mark and Dan's offices to discuss how the government was keeping him down. Hmm. And Dan would quote the Book of Mormon to back up his claims. 
Dan also began to believe that the mainstream LDS had gone off the rails when they gave up polygamy a century before in order to become a part of the oppressive government, Mm. which made them complicit in all this. In other words, Dan Lafferty radicalized himself without even coming into contact with the fundamentalist Mormons, or before he was even contacted by the aforementioned Prophet Onias. Wow. And I think it's an important lesson for our listeners. Don't sit around waiting to be radicalized. <laughs> yeah. You can do it for yourself. You can radicalize yourself whether it's like, man, you know, gardening is radical. You know <laughs> it what I mean? is. Like leading a militia against a government. Is so radical. <laughs> well, it's just very bizarre. If he would have just stuck with the sandwiches, he could have been the next Jersey Mike. Now, Get radicalized about radicalized. how good your sandwiches Absolutely. are. Absolutely. By the way, Cousin Subs, that one holds up, and I had Jimmy John's in Milwaukee, and that's the best sandwich of all time. I don't know if it's yeah. the best sandwich of all time. Oh, no, buddy, you didn't absolutely have the sandwich. Not. You didn't have the sandwich <laughs> that I had. Well, Dan's other brothers were following suit in this radicalization. Three of the Lafferty's took plural wives and also declared themselves sovereign citizens. Uh Uh-oh. But the only one who was really having trouble with it was Ron. Now, Ron was, when he was a young man, what you might call a super Mormon. You gold star. Gold star Mormon. Yeah, he's up there, man. He's on He's on the track for apostle. He's on the track for council. Okay, super Mormon. He followed all the words of wisdom by abstaining from alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, and masturbation. Because <laughs> you know their big thing, the way they avoid masturbation, they say? Always stay, when you're traveling, one thing to do, there's a guide to avoiding uh, masturbation for, for Mormonism. You got to have a buddy. You have to have the masturbation buddy. Oh, yeah. Which I'm certainly never evolves in the two people just sucking each other off in a hotel room. No. But it, it, you're supposed to have a dude that will spot you. That you'd say to him, hey, man, I'm really horny right now, Ben. I'm really horny right now, and I'm thinking about touching it, Ben. You got to tell me I won't. Yeah, yeah, you won't, buddy. Yeah, you won't. Yeah. No, Would you just whip it Benjamin, out there? Benjamin, what you're no. doing oh, is even yeah. bigger. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm imagining there's a Mormon Boys series as well, right? Uh, well, oh, yes, I believe there is. so. That's the the uh, it's a brother sister team, yeah. And, and the man makes the Mormon boys, yes. hmm. but they're legally men, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron Lafferty also didn't read anything but LDS literature, and he listened to nothing but LDS music. <laughs> oh, damn! <laughs> but. <laughs> this is a singular brass instrument cover of the Mario Brothers theme song. Yeah, it was very good. It's the only song you're allowed to listen to in the Mormon church. Well, by the way, a bit of a side note here, but I was reminded of a actual Mormon celebrity, Steve Young, the yeah. quarterback. BYU, so BYU quarterback. Yeah. There you go. Isn't I... he also, isn't he gay? Steve Young? No, he's no. just Mormon. That theory's been out there for a long time, but I think it's just because he didn't drink coffee, drink booze, or masturbate. Yeah. So then yeah. we're like, I think he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve Young is actually the, every time someone mentions BYU, that I always think of Steve Young. Steve Young. Yep. So yeah. You, the, Mormons got a, the Mormons got an athletic superstar. So by the end of Ron's mission in Florida, he had baptized more than 50 people in a period of two years, in a situation where even the best missionary was expected to convert no more than four Gentiles. But this Damn. okay, but they're all sovereign citizens? Uh, well, Ron is not a sovereign citizen just yet. Okay. No, no, oh, no, Ron no. is the super Mormon. Mo- Ron started off as the super Mormon, right. yes. And the other brothers, the, the uh, three or four of the other brothers, four out of the six, like, really fucking felons. There was one guy who was like, I'm 
it's kind of weird. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the other brothers at this point are all sovereign citizens. Okay. But you're also just trying to get signatures on a piece of paper. So people could be lying about the baptism part and just kind of be like, please get away with me. Get, please get away from me. But oh, you know what it also is? You could also have a good eye as a Mormon missionary. I want to find out if, I, if, you, if you are a Mormon missionary, tell me if this is true. Do you have good nerd radar where you know how to go at the people that are technically already living these lifestyles and you just kind of need to like flip them over to Mormonism? Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I would assume yeah. that they know when someone is more available than others. I mean, I opened the door in my Texas Chainsaw Massacre shirt, wearing my fucking underwear, just being like, what? what? <laughs> and then they're like, thank you, sir. And I was like, thank <laughs> you. Thank you for making me get out of bed because I was just going to shit in the bed this morning. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know who he was targeting there because the baptism. I mean, it's a ritual. It's not. Oh no, yeah, dude. yeah. It's a huge. It's a whole. Big do they do deal. the? Uh, do they do the full dipperoo? The full going oh, yeah. under the water in oh. the lake? The whole thing? Oh, no, you remember okay. from last week, man? We talked about it in two episodes ago where we talked about they they got to wash the fucking butthole. They got they don't right. do that anymore. Right. But you, it's a whole. It's a whole. Mashuga. If you are going to get baptized, and I've told this story before, but don't be a fat kid like me and don't wear a white t shirt. It was <laughs> yeah. mortifying. Now, being the eldest, Ron Lafferty had always looked after his younger brothers. And when their wives started complaining to Ron's wife about how they were being treated, Ron decided to step in. All right there, mister. We're going to have to have a bit of a a what for, or we're going to have some fisticuffs. All right? I want to understand it. All right? And yes, I am very tired because I only got three hours of sleep last night because I had to plow each morning and I don't believe in coffee. But, I, you know, I get a nice breeze coming through here and I'll have enough energy to punch you in the face, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) So on one fateful evening, Ron met with his brothers at Dan's house and read aloud an essay about the dangers of fundamentalism saying that there was no place in their church for extremes. In response to this statement about extremes, Dan gave a serious retort that sounds like a joke. He said, quote, Well, how about the extremely good? All I'm trying to do is be extremely good. And so the argument began, with the two of them trading quotes from the Book of Mormon and the polygamous pamphlet by Udney Jacob, published by Joseph Smith, The Peacemaker. Fucking, oh man, what is this fucking nerd Olympics? We're all fighting each other? (laughs) By the end of the night, Dan had won. And from what Ron's wife, Diana, later said, Ron returned home a totally different man than the one who'd walked out the door just a few hours before. Uh Uh-oh. Ron threw away his license, removed the plates from his truck, and quit his job, declaring himself... A sovereign citizen. Sovereign citizen. I will not be detained. No. (laughs) And when Dan started applying the control rules to his wife, she went to the only Lafferty wife who hadn't taken this bullshit lying down, Brenda Lafferty. Now, Brenda was married to the youngest brother, Alan, and she'd resisted all this shit from the word go. And she made sure to tell all the other wives that they should do the same. But she had to deal with her fair share of bullshit as well. Alan refused to eat at restaurants that weren't closed on Sundays, and she didn't find out about Alan's sovereign citizen status until after they were married. Brenda, I hope you're really excited to have Chick-fil-A again (laughs) today. How did she even... I guess you find out where he's like, 
I don't sign contracts. <laughs> because as soon as you sign a marriage contract, then the government says you're married to them. And you're like, what? <laughs> well, Alan was always kind of like half in, half out. Or he always got paid in cash. He didn't pay his taxes, at least when they got married. But when Brenda uh, married him, being strong-willed, she at the very least convinced her husband to pay taxes okay. and be a somewhat functioning member of society. But don't they agree if they don't sign their license that they don't sign the contract to believe in the money? Isn't that another thing, too, where they try to make their own money, which is why a lot of them are in Bitcoin? I think sovereign citizens make up a lot of their own rules. Yeah. The whole point. <laughs> the whole thing. Well, when Brenda convinced... Alan to pay his taxes, that pissed off the other Lafferty brothers. But what really got their goat about Brenda was that she was educated. She was the only wife who had been to college, and she knew the Book of Mormon better than any of them, meaning that they couldn't just shout random scripture to get her to shut up. But up until that point, Brenda was more of a nuisance to the Lafferty brothers than anything. It wasn't until Brenda got in the middle of Ron's marriage did the real hatred begin? Uh oh. Rise from your grave. Rise from your grave. Now, as I said, Ron had quit his job and dropped out of society. He was abusing his wife, Diana, and on top of it all, the once faithful Mormon was in the process of being excommunicated. Mm. And so, Brenda convinced Diana to leave Ron. And when Diana left, she sought refuge with a man named Richard Stowe, who was directing the high council that was excommunicating Ron. And the person who helped Diana pack was a woman named Chloe Lowe. Before long, Ron was living out of his 1974 Chevy Impala. Mm. And in his mind, the three people responsible were Richard Stowe, Chloe Lowe, and especially Brenda Lafferty. And it was amidst this mood that the brothers Lafferty were introduced to the prophet Onias. Mm. Yeah, to the shitty fucking desert-based X-Men. They go out there to meet him. It, it, it's very, very strange how this stuff works, about how they built these like imaginary hierarchies. So you have a man that has no powers, who has somehow become a leader of a group of people, Prophet Onias. These three fucking idiots, they all show up to go meet another big top idiot that is going to help them get validity for their actions. So you have all of these people do a bunch of made-up stuff, but because they keep flipping and making it up, the more and more it becomes reality. That's the only. There's only two options. After living in your car, you become a massive criminal or a stand-up comedian. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> make. You gotta it. double you gotta down. Do, you gotta do one or the other. You are. Hey, man. You are counting out becoming a ufologist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to the Lafferty's, Onias was just the type of man they'd been looking for. He was a leader of men. He agreed that the mainstream church was corrupt, and he was sitting on a magical mind full of angel gold to boot. Of course. They haven't found it yet, but it's almost better to get in before they find it. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and conversely, the Lafferty's were exactly what Onias had wanted when it came to students for his school of prophets. And by January of 1984, the Lafferty's were making appearances in Onias's revelations. Now, it's important, boys, remember to do the bit where when you bent over first, you take the banaka and you spray it towards the butt. And the, the essential nature of this is that you're playing as if your butt can't talk and it has bad breath. And you got it. It's important to know, yeah, it may burn, but the bit 
is incredibly important for people to believe that your butt does indeed have a mouth that does speak in the name of the Lord. (laughs) And Ron, with nothing going on in his life, threw every bit of energy he had into the school of prophets, whose main purpose was to teach people how to have revelations just like Joseph Smith had. Okay. And pretty soon, God began speaking to Ron Lafferty directly. In describing the feeling of revelation to his brother, Ron said, quote, It's like a blanket falls over you. You can feel the Lord's thoughts, and you write them down. And the Lord's thought were, your house is running out of gas. Go to the gas station. <laughs> so, between February and March of 1984, Ron received 20 revelations, supposedly straight, from God. Some would appear directly in Ron's head, while others would make themselves known through Ron while he was typing on his word processor. Oh, perfect. Yeah. But the most consequential of Ron's revelations would be written on a simple sheet of yellow legal paper. It read, in part... Thus saith the Lord unto my servants the prophets, It is my will and commandment that ye remove the following individuals in order that my work might go forward. For they have truly become obstacles in my path, and I will not allow my work to be stopped. First, thy brother's wife Brenda and her baby. Then, Chloe Lowe. Then, Richard Stowe. And it is my will that they be removed in rapid succession, and that an example be made of them in order that others might see the fate of those who'd fight against the true saints of God. So it's a, it's a hit list, huh? It's a hit list. He did the hit list in the voice of God. <laughs> yep. Yep. Damn. Just so happened that those were the same people that he blamed for his whole life falling apart. Right. Weird. It's weird how it works it like just, that. It uh, is. The people that are his genuine problem that he blames for anything are also the one that God wants to kill. It's it's serendipity. He should have he should have peppered in some make believe names, you know, <laughs> just like so it wasn't so obvious. Durf Noggles. Durf Noggles. You know, Durf Noggle needs to go. Also, Bill Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> so after committing the murder of four people, including an infant, God went on to tell Ron. Ron was the same ilk as Porter Rockwell, who attempted the murder of Lilburn Boggs and had been one of Brigham Young's henchmen. And when Ron showed this revelation to his brother Dan, all Dan had to say was, quote, Make sure it's from God. That's it? Yep, that's it. <laughs> you better you better double check the triple stamp on this because <laughs> I want to make sure this is from God. Is there some kind of like uh, letterhead or... You got some kind of watermark on there that we can maybe like check out because this is, I mean, it seems coincidental. I don't mean to step on any toes here. Right, yeah, because we're talking like quadruple homicide here plus one. But in the days following the first revelation, Ron received another saying that Ron was the mouth of God while Dan was the arm. I just do the talking. I just do the talking. I can't be doing all this murdering. You know, I'm trying. I have visions for the future. Even I was in the middle of it. I'm like, oh, no, we got, we got to get Hot Pockets tonight. It's a revelation <laughs> from God. I know that. So, Dan, this is on you, buddy. Yeah. Wow. And both brothers took this to mean that it would have to be Dan who would commit these murders. And they used a murder that Nephi committed in the Book of Mormon as justification for their actions. Is there some kind of captcha? God can do, so I can be sure. This collection of communications from God came to be known as the Removal Revelation, and the seed that the founders of Mormonism planted with the blood atonement doctrine so many years past 
was about to bear bloody fruit once more. Mm. But to the prophet Onias' credit, murder was a bridge too far when it came to the revelations of his students. Although this does tell you that even when it comes to prophets, belief has borders. And even so, the prophet allowed the removal revelation to be brought to their high council, and it was put to a vote as to whether or not it truly came from God. Now, was this council actually stoned? <laughs> because it seems like you would have to be so high off of some strong-ass weed to even consider any of this stuff. Dude, it's just about the... It's. I just like the idea that they become very practical. Yeah, right. They have to sit and vote with like, oh, this came from God or not. I mean, they, they, you know, they got close, technically. I mean, they lost six to three. But they still got three votes. Who were the three? Them. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I see. Okay. Never. It's like when you vote for yourself. Yeah, they voted for themselves. I they all it. voted. They voted that it was real. Okay. You remember when you voted for yourself 1,800 times in Brooklyn? Yeah, I loved it. Just went with so many different wigs, a babushka. I was like a real Robin Williams. <laughs> and so after they lost the vote, they left the church of the prophet Onias, and they were on their own. And the only thing the council did in response to this very real threat on the lives of four people was to sign and notarize an affidavit documenting the threat. Then the affidavit was placed in a drawer for later use, should the brothers go through with it. Just kind of a bit of a cover your ass type of thing. Yeah, you gotta have, it's gotta be legal. Yeah, maybe this this is like one of those times where it's like sheriffs love to get this info, <laughs> like because it makes them feel like, oh, I have a real job. I'm haggard. This is the reason I'm drinking whiskey all night and go through with it. The Lafferty brothers did. Surprisingly, though, before they went through with it, Dan went to his little brother, Alan, and straight up told him that he and Rom were going to murder Alan's wife and child. Jeez. Now, Alan didn't accept the revelation. Whoa, what? <laughs> but he also didn't say a goddamn word to his wife. What is wow. wrong with these people? That might be because Brenda was getting sick and tired of all the bullshit that went with living with Alan. Brenda was on her way out the door when it came to her marriage. But such things are difficult, and they take time. And while Brenda was preparing... Dan and Ron Lafferty took a road trip out west to ruminate until God commanded them that the revelation be made real. And, and they didn't know what ruminating was until they saw it once in a dictionary. And they're like, I think that's what we should do. <laughs> I don't think that they are bright. No, doesn't sound like it, man. During the two months that the brothers were on the road, they picked up a 24-year-old homeless ex-con named Ricky Knapp. Ricky had a friend who was a pot farmer, and Ricky knew where his friend threw away all the seeds and stems. Was was my fucking dealer in 2003 in Florida? Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't believe it, Henry. We got to go out 20 miles outside of Tallahassee. I know where all the seeds and stems are. No, great, great, fucking uh, Ricky. Thank you so much. I certainly didn't get enough seeds and stems in the last fucking batch I got from my friend Forrest. So, Ricky and the Lafferty's went out to the dumping ground and gathered up all the stems they could find in a grocery bag and had a weird, janky high together. 
<laughs> I remember That's being not... convinced. I was told by endless dealers that you could just chew on the stairs. No. You can get kind of high. You boil it. Like, you take it all and you boil it and do a fucking little tea thing, and it's fucking disgusting. But, so ex-con Ricky was like, I'm a thief, but only of shit that sucks. So <laughs> Super yes, that, shit that sucks. That is a weed farm, but we're not going to go with the weed. We're going to go with that stems and seeds. You guys ever done knife hits? <laughs> Every two-liter bottle has been cut off from the bottom, so you can really inhale it hard. But the Lafferty still maintained that they got a little high, and they named it a tool of spiritual enlightenment. They are, uh, yeah, bro, man, fucking <laughs> jaw did it, dude. They got a headache, is yeah. what they got. Then the trio swung by a Mormon commune that Ron knew about, and Dan picked up a wife. Just... Might what? as well. He did what? He picked up a wife. He picked up a wife. Picked up a wife. Like a hammer. <laughs> like, wh- how did he, what do you mean he picked up a wife? He met a girl, and he was like, hey, you want to be a wife? And she was single. She had two kids, or four kids, actually. Uh, so she's like, yeah, I could use a husband. So he's like, okay, we're on this weird road trip. You got to go now. Man, and it was different. Well, the marriage gave the brothers an extra car and four kids to deal with. But Dan divorced the woman two weeks later. Just didn't, It didn't work out. Sounds like a horrible, horrible comedy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, afterwards, he met back up with Ron and Ricky, who'd picked up another drifter named Chip Carnes, and they all <laughs> went to Ron and Dan's mother's place in Provo, Utah, on July 23rd. This is literally Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> this is- That's where it's becoming, yes, but it's far more dangerous. Yes. Yeah. On that day, Dan, Ricky, and Chip were all geared up to head into Salt Lake City for the Pioneer Day celebration on the 24th. Oh, they they have a commandment for corn dogs? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have the Pioneer Day was them trying to figure out a way to celebrate things. So they use it as like a big Mormon day where everybody can get together and and not listen to music and not drink beers. But I know that they do now. Now they listen to music. Okay. Yeah. And this day commemorates Brigham Young's entry into the Salt Lake Valley. Ah. And I actually hear uh, that non-Mormons in Salt Lake Salt Lake City on July 24th, they have Pie and Beer Day. Hell yeah, dog. (laughs) You non Mormons! I want to go to Pie and Beer Day. Yeah, I'd love to go to Pie and Beer Day. Uh, I'm just going to be a little bit of a contrarian here. No. (laughs) Pie and Beer? Uh, If it's a meat pie. They're not doing meat pies. They're not doing meat pies. It's not the UK. Kissel, you are the strangest. That is the strangest, most off-brand thing I have ever heard you say. Have you ever You literally would not sit and enjoy a beer and a piece of pie. No, beer and pie? You're very strange. You don't. You sound like you're mixing them all together in a big bowl. You're going to have beer and you're going to eat pie. Your belly is the bowl. You're going to end up like the fat kid and stand by me. Everyone's going to vomit all over each other. I don't want to hear about your your how you feel that your eating habits are correct. And this is wrong. It's got to be salt. It's got to be salt based. <laughs> That's the whole thing. <laughs> with beer consumption, you got to be surrounded by carbs have... and salt. Okay, I'm going to go Wisconsin with you on this one. What if you have apple pie with a piece of cheese? So that way you mm. have the apple pie, you buffer mm-hmm. it with a piece of cheese, then you go for your beer. If it's spotted cow, you can have anything with it. That's <laughs> what I'm saying, buddy. But they don't got that in Utah. <laughs> problem was these boys weren't going to pioneer day ron said they had to forget all about the fair because god had finally spoken instead of good times and clean mormon fellowship the day of july 24th would be filled with murder and mayhem and that is not easy do you have any idea how difficult it is for four idiots to forget about a fair (laughs) 
It's so difficult. So you're already in the car. You're 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 in a car. You're already like driving past it probably a lot, yeah. and you're seeing all the things go up and all the fried Oreo stands, and you're just like, man, oh man, can we just go for like a little bit? Can we just go for twenty minutes or so? We can't do much damage then, right? It's like no cricket. That would mean. That we would have to be citizens of this disgusting United States of America. <laughs> oh, what's the use of being a sovereign citizen if you can't go to the fair? I agree. Oh. I throw a fair for myself. I went and I got a hot dog that I stole from a dumpster, and I'm drinking a can of motor oil that technically I should be saving for my house car. <laughs> For the entire time that Ron was telling the group, hey, tomorrow's the day we're going to go murder four people, Jesus. their mother, Claudine, was just sitting on the couch, knitting. Didn't say a goddamn thing. Didn't make a single <laughs> phone call. Just let it go. This mm-hmm. means there's now about nine people who know that these murders are going to take place. They abs- did absolutely fucking nothing. Do you think that they actually thought these murders were going to take place? It seems as if these guys like do a lot of make em ups. Mm. So I don't know, but that's I'm at some I'm point. with you, Kissel. I think that there was a time period where they legitimately thought these fucking idiots they can do whatever the hell it is they want. Just I guess they're going to do this. I have no clue if they really mean this because th- they all knew. I guess they never told Brenda. They never actually told her. She was the one that was uh, decidedly out of the loop when it came mm. to what the hell they were planning to do. Everybody yeah. else was just kind of be like, well, I see you and I believe it because, they, I mean, they mailed their social security cards to the government. How can they even put together an afternoon of murder and mayhem? Right. So, the next day, on July 24th, Dan woke up and sawed off the barrel of a 12-gauge shotgun with a hacksaw because God had told him to do it during his morning prayers. (sighs) Surprisingly, Ricky and Chip were all in when it came to the mission. Surprisingly? I feel like they're the ones that are, they're the ones being like, yeah, man, yeah, I got nothing to do, let's make it a Wacky Wednesday. Wacky Wednesday indeed. So the four men loaded up in the Impala with an additional two guns and headed to their brother Mark's house, where they picked up one last firearm so all four men could be armed. Then, <laughs> at 1.30 that afternoon, they drove to their brother Alan's house, where Brenda and her daughter Eric were. Ron walked up to the door with a shotgun hidden in his sleeve and a 10-inch boning knife in <sighs> his boot and knocked on the door, but no one answered. And at that moment, Ron said that he was relieved. He believed momentarily that this had all been a test, like how God had tested Abraham just to see how far the motherfucker would go. In killing his son. Yes. Yeah. So Ron got back in the car and started driving away. But as he was pulling away from the house, he was overcome with the feeling that he should return because he had heard no confirmation from God that this had been a test. So God must still want these people dead. Horribly, what happened next fed directly into their revelation. Remember, God had said that Ron was the mouth of God while Dan was the arm. So the second time, Dan knocked on the door. And this time, Brenda opened it. After some awkward small talk, Dan forced his way inside and wrestled Brenda to the ground, sending a glass crashing down in the process. Ron heard the glass break and came in to help. And while Ron held Brenda down... Dan gave some thought as to what the best way to fulfill the revelation would be. He asked Ron for the knife 
to help him think, maybe give him a little bit of inspiration. And after Ron beat Brenda senseless, screaming that she was why he didn't have a wife anymore, they made her sit in the corner of the room. But when she finally figured out what they were planning, she tried running after her child, who was in the other room. Dan stopped her by grabbing her by the hair, and Brenda fainted. With the mother unconscious, Dan got the feeling that God wanted him to kill the child first. So, guided by what he called the Holy Spirit, he walked down the hall. When he got to the baby's room, the baby must have thought that Dan was her father, Alan, because Dan and Alan both looked alike and they both had beards. Because of this, the baby calmed down, and Dan put his hand on the baby's forehead. Then he closed his eyes and drew the knife so deep across the baby's throat that he almost decapitated her. Then he walked back to the kitchen, washed off the knife, and did the same to the unconscious Brenda, cutting so hard he heard the knife scrape her spine. Dan then washed the knife again, returned with Ron to the car, where Chip and Ricky had been waiting this whole time, and took off without telling their two companions anything about what had transpired in the house. They did nothing. Mm. They literally were the ones helping push the whole thing along. And they sat in their car while the whole thing went down, just moping about not being at Pioneer Day. (laughs) Unbelievable. This is disgusting. With the first part of the revelation fulfilled, the men drove to the home of Chloe Lowe, the third of God's commanded victims. But thankfully, Chloe was not at home. She was out celebrating Pioneer Day. So Ron and Dan robbed the house, destroyed Chloe's precious porcelain figure collection, and moved on. Oh my God, you might as well just kill my mom (laughs) if you destroy her porcelain figure collection. It's like her horcruxes. (laughs) And then they moved on to the home of Richard Stowe. But along the way, Ricky, who was driving, took a wrong turn. And after he took a wrong turn, he stopped the car and said, all right, boys, we got to talk about this for a second. There, on the side of the road, the men discussed whether or not a third murder was worth it, or if they'd done enough already. <laughs> Have we done enough already? I am getting we exhausted. Just, but we had a revelation. I was supposed to kill three people. So they have to, like, negotiate with revelation. Yeah. And, Jeez. And Chip finally chimed in to say that if the Lord wanted them to kill someone else that day, they'd already be there. Now, of course. Just, I'm, <laughs> of course. I'm going to posit this all as well, okay? If the Lord really wanted them dead. Now, I'm not saying we wasted an afternoon. <laughs> But wouldn't God have made them explode? <laughs> Good. Honest, honestly, God. y'all. Wouldn't God just made them explode or some, some kind of big eagle to pick them up? I'm just spitballing here. Uh, I, it seems to me like you just want to go to Pioneer Days. <laughs> I just know that the tuba concert is going to start at four. And if you've never even I've heard of the polka this year was quite knee shifting. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, thankfully, Ron agreed, and they drove off down I-15. And had Ricky taken the right turn, though, Richard Stowe would be a corpse right now. He was home, and he'd taken Pioneer Day off to do some renovations with his son. Mm. The men then moved on to Nevada and checked into a motel in Wendover where they bought beer and hot dogs and turned in for the night. But Ricky and Chip were starting to realize... They were in over their heads. Yeah. Because Dan <laughs> yeah. had told them the whole story since they'd arrived in Nevada. Yeah, Rick and Chip. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they, they didn't realize. Hey, I got to say something, Chip. Do you ever feel like we made a whole like series of wrong decisions in our lives <laughs> that have kind of led to this afternoon? 
you know what, Ricky? Yeah, I could have done better in biology. I really feel like maybe that's the turn. I, I remember when someone asked me if I wanted to join the basketball team, and I said, basketball makes you stupid. I think that I should have done that. It would have given me some structure. Yeah, that might have been good. So Ricky and Chip stole Ron's and Paula and hauled ass to Cheyenne, Wisconsin, where they were picked up by the cops four days later, and the pair subsequently spilled the beans on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ron and Dan had just kind of said fuck it when their car and accomplices were gone, so they hitchhiked to Reno and made friends at the Nugget with a dude named Bud, who let him <laughs> sleep on his floor for the night. Oh, yeah. It sounds like a Ben Kissel story. <laughs> Other than the murder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm making friends with Bud at the Nugget in Reno, Nevada. No, I mean, obviously, Bud is Bud is a fun guy. I'm not dissing on Bud. Oh, yeah, Bud took no. a water skiing the next day, dude. Bud was a great man. He didn't know. He just thought he had two fun local yokels to hang no. out with. But um, Bud would sit and play video games with you. You guys could get Papa John's together and sit and enjoy your night. Yeah. And, you know, keep Bud would actually probably kind of successfully convince you to not murder Bud is all one your of, enemies. Bud is one of those guys who understands that if you're playing the slots long enough, they just give you free drinks. You just got to sit down. You can go to a low table. You don't got to bet that much money. And by the end of the night, you got 20 free beers. You're making money on top of money. That's the thing, though. Is couldn't you just buy the beers? Yeah. Well, then you couldn't gamble. <laughs> yeah, this is the whole thing. This is, we've now meandered back into Uncle Corner. <laughs> well, after hanging out with Bud, the brothers moved on and took up residence in a double-decker shuttle bus. They then spent the next... That is a very fancy way of saying, found a fucking bus. <laughs> Man, then... we got all these room for a fucking activities. <laughs> look at this. Oh, look, vroom, vroom, vroom. I'm driving a bus. Isn't that funny? I'm driving. Man, we found vroom, a vroom, residence. Vroom. Do you have the home sweet home <laughs> little thing, the mat? Do you have the mat? You know, I saw this thing the other day that inspired me. It just said, and I think that these are important to remember for every day. Live... You got to live. You got to laugh. Yeah, yeah. You really got to laugh. Every day it's important. Yeah. And you got to love, my friend. Oh, and my And you know what God. I love? This double-decker bus. Double-decker <laughs> bus. That's great. We can put it right by our little sign that says, home is where the heart is. <laughs> well, Ron and Dan then spent the next two weeks going to the Pepper Mill Casino every day. Because at the Pepper Mill, anyone who had an ID, you get a few complimentary chips, Free plate of nachos. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. See, technically, that is amazing. <laughs> that is. That is no, a free plate, a casino, warm, <laughs> kind of cold, though, nachos, oh, yeah, mostly man, cold. No. They're living their life, man. They're having a good time. And using these complimentary chips, they were pretty good at this shit. They made enough money to get two plates of nachos a day. <laughs> Damn, dog. Oh, mama see that. The Damn toilet dog. on that double-decker bus. <laughs> Woo! The best part about nachos is that when they come out of the other side, it's like nachos again. <laughs> it is. <laughs> then they visited their friend Debbie, who worked at the classiest of casinos, Circus Circus. Ah, yes. But it was while they were at Circus Circus that a blackjack dealer recognized Dan and Ron. The dealer called the cops, and the brothers were arrested soon after while waiting in line at the Circus Circus Buffet. Um, so if you disappointing. Do- Go to Vegas. Circus Circus hasn't changed since they've been there. Oh, my friend, nope. this is the Reno Circus Circus. Oh, this is Ooh. the Reno Circus Circus. You know, these guys, because this is a trip very similar to what we'll see with Warren Jeffs as well. They're just living there. They're just fucking living it up, man. Yeah, they know it's over. 
They know it's over. And so the guys were not, I don't want to say snitching. They were telling the police in Wisconsin. So their photos were in newspapers and things. Yeah, everyone was looking for these guys. Okay. They were they were immediately, not immediately, well, not immediately. No, it took two weeks of them fucking around in Reno for them to be recognized. To be fair, that's fairly fast for someone to be found as a murderer in, in Reno. You <laughs> especially in Reno. There, yeah, you could live there for, for like a decade. For them to flip on anybody inside of Reno, you know, no. it's difficult. Now, as it is with many religious zealots charged with major crimes, Ron Lafferty refused to mount an insanity defense because he still truly believed with all his heart that God had commanded him to murder a young woman and a toddler. As a result, he was very quickly convicted and sentenced to death. But a technicality earned him a second trial. He again refused to plead insanity, but in the interval, his understanding of God had somewhat changed. Now... He believed that Moroni was a homosexual spirit who was mm. constantly trying to invade his anus. <laughs> that and, is, oh, if I'm the judge, I'm like, I know you said you weren't crazy. <laughs> and technically, if I say that you are crazy, it's going to be easier for you. But can we just say, for the record, he's batshit nuts? And <laughs> My thing is that people saying I'm crazy. But I think you'd be crazy if you tried denying my sweet succulent butt. Are you going to do the monocle? <laughs> see thing? just how it swaggles back and forth. I can see how the hand of God would just look up my two plump little butt cheeks and just imagine what it'd be like to play dirty harmonica on my holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he also he had a magical ward to keep uh, Moroni away. He did. Someone gave him an exit only sticker. And he put it on his jumpsuit. Oh my yeah, God, buddy. Vomit. <laughs> yeah. This person took That's two lives. This man. That's it. This walking Chev- Chevy truck. That's just the rules, dude. Yeah, that's the rules. If you got a no exit <sighs> sign anywhere on your body, no one can touch your butthole. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, the rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no angels can have gay sex with you that way. No, you yeah. don't see that sign on every single pickup truck at every single rest stop all over Mm-mm. this country. Mm-hmm. And when Ron was convicted of murder a second time, he told the judge, quote, You could kiss my butt, pal. I thought you didn't like that. <laughs> I thought the whole um, thing was that Maroney was having sex with your butt, so um, why would I kiss your butt, sir? Um, here's my sign. Here's your sign? <laughs> and when asked to choose his method of execution, Ron said he'd already had his lethal injection of Mormonism, so he'd take the firing squad. Oh, hell yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah, man. Getting snappy with it. Yeah. And to this day, Ron Lafferty is awaiting the bullet. And that day could come at any time. As per a news story released just this last August, just a couple months ago, Ron has lost his last appeal. So any day now, Ron's going to get a fucking bullet to the head. For Dan's part, he represented himself in his trial. Uh, smart, smart. <laughs> yep, yeah, you got to, man. I mean, who are you going to trust beside yourself? Of course. I'm not trusting these lawyers. I'm a lawyer because yeah. I put on a uh-huh. funny wig. Show up like one of these barristers. But he actually did all right. He didn't get the death penalty. Wow. Yeah, he got a he got life in prison, but he also now believes he's the prophet Elijah and that Ron is the son of Satan whose mission is, whose mission is to stop the second coming of Christ. It's uh. really just about trying to have fun with your bunkie. <laughs> you know, you got to tell him some stories. Now, naturally, the prophet Onias absolved himself of all responsibility because he had, after all, said no. No. <laughs> Don't do it. Ain't my problem. No. I'm still looking for gold. <laughs> <laughs> Furthermore, the mainstream LDS denied that these men were even Mormons, making sure to point out that Ron had already been excommunicated. Mm. See, and that's, that's how they're completely, uh, they got nothing to do with this. Nothing because to do. they just go, blah, 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 nah, I can't see him, I can't see him, can't hear him, blah, blah, blah. Mm. 
And to be perfectly clear, blood atonement murders are increasingly rare these days. Although hmm. a polygamous leader named Erville LeBaron was responsible for over 25 blood atonement murders in Mexico back in the 70s. Erville, huh? Erville. Damn. Yeah. There was also a recent one. They said they believed that they did were, they, there was a family that got, that got involved in a blood atonement murder that said that they were in a direct extension of Dan Lafferty. Mm. That he was talking to them from jail. Uh, jeez. And I do remember watching a, a true crime uh, TV show about a guy who believed that he was uh, the next Joseph Smith, and he also murdered somebody. Um, well, you know. So it's happening not as regularly, but it's still going down. It's still, it's still going down. It's I would still say going down. this is one of those things where it should be none. Yeah, it Zero. should be. Yeah, it yes. should be in 2019. It should be none. Uh, but of course, religions have been the reason for violence for many, many years. Oh uh, yeah, it's from the beginning of time. But one of the other big sins of Mormonism's past is still to this day creating misery for tens of thousands of people. That splotch on the Mormons' record is polygamy. Mm. Now we're not saying that poly relationships are a bad thing. As we know plenty of people out there who live in loving, if stressful, polyamorous relationships. Sure. It's a lot of rules. Oh. You really got to follow by the rules, but at least they don't come from God. Yeah. They come from San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the specific brand of polygamy that the fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints practices that's the great sin, because oftentimes women in these communities are given away with no regard for their wishes when they're barely past puberty. Mm. They're in slavery. They're in slavery just like the kids. And no man in the history of the FLDS took advantage of this more than Warren Jeffs. Ooh, guys. This fucking guy. Warren Jeffs looks like the human being that would become the chatterer Cenobite. <laughs> <laughs> Warren Jeffs, I think. Because I think I spent the, the majority of my time researching him, unfortunately. And he, uh, he is a ghoul. He is a, uh, a truly evil human being. Yeah. yeah, you can tell. Just look at the pictures. There's nothing in those eyes but, but evil. Mm -hmm. To reiterate, the FLDS is a direct result of Joseph Smith's proclamation that he himself was a prophet of God. And if Smith can do it, then any man who can convince others that he's telling the truth can do it as well. And unfortunately, if a person has manipulative skills on that magnitude, then that person almost certainly does not have good intentions mm. because that person is probably a sociopath. Yeah. He kind of looks like Steve Buscemi and John Turturro's abortion. <laughs> That's sort just of imagining Steve Buscemi just coming in all little sperms looking like Warren Jeffs. <laughs> like the Warren Jeffs' heads on a sperm. So you know gross. what it is, too? It's also, I do believe there is obviously a modicum of skill of manipulation that you have to do in these time periods, especially back in the day when they, they were first splintering off. When the groups are first created, they really have to create a hub of personality that m makes people kind of join around you. But in Warren Jeff's specific case, you're now looking at three generations of fundamentalist polygamous lifestyle. So you already have hundreds of children that have been that have been engendered by a generation of schooling to receive the further teachings of Warren Jeffs. These people have been raised in such a vacuum, and because it's been built into the, the, their entire lives, it's their whole family, it's their entire existence. Warren Jeffs, who I would not call a charismatic human being, no. unless you just want to do capital C charismatic, where he kind of like is 
it's kind of forced upon him because of his role within this society that has been specifically literally bred to believe in this leadership style. That's what allows him to be so successful in creating an entire system of abuse. Well, that's the thing uh, when it comes to foundations. This is just obviously they get um, once the foundation is Joseph Smith, Warren Jeffs can take that to the next level. Mm hmm. When it comes to sports, you got doc, Dr. J, Julius Irving. Mm -hmm. He's doing a reverse layup. Yep. Everyone's like, unbelievable. Yep. Now, everyone does it, but you got to do it first. <laughs> no, doc, but yeah, you, but you build on the next generation. Mm -hmm. Then MJ's taken off from the free throw line. Now, freaking LeBron can probably do it from the three-point line. Yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like this works, but I also feel like I think it doesn't fully connect. <laughs> I am not certain. It's For me, and again, it's like Mobby Mania with his million-dollar contract moving into the future. He just kind of set it up at the beginning. You got to set it up in the beginning. No, I get it. I know you get it. Yeah. Henry only reads Dune. Yeah, when we uh, actually when we release the first episode of uh, No Dogs in Space Aww. here uh, pretty soon, the music history podcast that me and Carolina are doing, you can uh, hear a similar argument when it comes to the Stooges. Ooh, okay. the Three Stooges a comedy <laughs> podcast there. <laughs> that's, pretty good. that's pretty good. That's hey, pretty Henry, good. Pretty Henry, how was that, huh? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it comes to cult leaders, this manipulative sociopathy seems to invariably lead to sexual abuse and sometimes outright murder. <sighs> In the case of Warren Jeffs, it was undoubtedly and disgustingly the former. Warren Jeffs sexually abused countless children and adults in the FLDS, both male and female, and those victims sometimes included his own daughters and nephews. And oftentimes, Jeffs was joined by other senior members of the FLDS. Well, much like the U.S. government, this is a way to, for it's a secret keeping technique. It's a secret keeping technique. The idea is that everybody's in on the sin. You have to double down all the time because if you are then a, right. a, implicated as a part of a series of especially sexual crimes, it will just it destroys everyone. So everybody has to stay solid, and it's also what it creates this fucked up scenario because it's all in the family. It's literally, as it goes further, too, it's more deeply, deeply, it is literally your family that is all implicated in all of this bullshit. That yeah. the idea of fucking with the system would destroy your entire universe, so you're sort of forced to also help support it. Can we just give a time frame here? Uh, what, what era are we in now? We are now in... Because well, we're in relatively recent history. When Warren Jeffs comes in power, we're talking early 2000s, okay. late 90s, something so like that. But... but we are in this century. Oh, God, yes. Yes, so that's no, yeah, it, clear yeah. that up. This, is, this isn't something happening in the 60s or 70s. This is happening basically in real time. In our lifetimes. Like, yes. easily in our lifetimes. You know, if not in high school. You know, it's fucking nuts. Yes. The end of it came when we were in fucking college. Mm -hmm. Like, yep. all of this is extremely, extremely recent. Yes, it is. Well, Warren Jeffs is a predator, plain and simple, and his teachings gave permission to other predators to do the same, all while Jeffs convinced his followers that the abuse was not only normal, but essential to their entire belief system. See, the phrase that the women and children of the FLDS were told over and over again to the point where it was embroidered on their pillows was, keep sweet no matter what. <sighs> keep yeah. sweet. That's always the thing they say is keep sweet. You keep in sweet. There's, yeah. It, it's very scary because this is going to become, you're going to the center. This is truly the 
the final extension of of Mormonism to deep cultism yes, inside yes. of Warren Jeff's mind. And there's actually a great horror movie that came out, I believe it was this year, maybe last year, Level 16. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Level 16? I have not. It plays on this narrative, yes. and it is really good. So if you get a chance, check it out. Level 16, worth a watch. Hell yeah. Well, with the phrase, keep sweet, the FLDS was able to ensure that women and children stayed compliant and submissive always. And if those people did not keep sweet, then the punishment was often swift and severe, usually resulting in extreme isolation in which the women were locked away from their children for months at a time. Mm. The most tragic part about this is that Jeffs was teaching these people that the outside world was even worse which kept most of them terrified every single day of their lives. Mm -hmm. I listened to testimony from one victim of Warren Jeffs, and when she started to be molested by him, the first thing she thought was like, wow, this is supposed to be where I'm safe, so if outside of here is worse than here, I definitely don't want to leave my community. Right. Yeah. In fact, Jeff's own daughter, who has since left the church, she said that even though Warren started abusing her at the age of eight years old, she felt lucky to be under his protection. Gross. Because if the outside world was worse than this, then it was wicked beyond imagination. So, who is Warren Jeffs? And how did he get this sort of power? That's the question here. All right. Well, part of that question can be answered in who Warren's father was. And we've already mentioned him once in this episode. Warren's father was Rulon Jeffs. Ooh, man, Rulon Jeffs is just another. When you see all of them stand together, it's just all of the, the worst forefathers to ever exist. It's mm. fucking from a fucking horror movie. Yeah. Now, like any good Mormon cult leader, Rulon had a bounty of wives, even more than Brigham Young. Rulon married 75 women and had at least 65 children, Mm. although that number is probably higher. We just don't know because the FLDS isn't great at record-keeping. Huh, I wonder why. Purposefully so, so that nothing could ever be trained, which, again, I was even talking about this with Ed Larson this week, about the idea of, like, guys in the KKK wearing masks, where it's like, you know it's bad because you're hiding it. Yeah. But you still, but then you flip it, acting like our secrecy is what makes us truly pure. And that, you know, because everybody will fuck with our perfect way of life mm. if they just knew about it. Well, it's also a way to hate society even more because it's saying society is making me do this. Right. I shouldn't have to do this. So fuck society. Mm. And out of those 65 some odd children that Rulon Jeffs had, the skinny, incomparably creepy Warren Jeffs made his way to the top by the simple virtue of surviving. See, Warren had been born seven and a half months early. He was a two and a half month preemie. Damn. And he somehow survived to become his father's favorite. They looked at him as the miracle baby. Yeah. That's what they called him because he was born of Rulon's favorite wife because they always have favorites. I believe it was his sixth or seventh wife. Well, as a child, Jeffs was described as a spoiled brat who constantly wet his pants. Mm. He was also a born pervert. By the time Jeffs was eight, women and girls knew to tape newspapers over their windows when little Jeff came to visit. Jesus. And in 1973, when Rulon set up a private FLDS school, he installed the 20-year-old Warren as the principal. 
Yeah, dude. He started as a teacher when he was 17. He barely graduated high school, and then they just made him a teacher because they don't believe the actual schooling is important. Yeah. It's this mm. uh, this thing called the Alta Academy, which was just this uh, uh, breeding ground of abuse. Similar what to, uh, what they did with Epstein. Mm-hmm. They gave him a very yeah. high-powered position with no education. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Now, needless to say, Jeff was not the most capable of headmasters. No. Some kids graduated still unable to write or even speak in complete sentences. See, the thing is, it's like a reverse school. Want to make them dumber? <laughs> so technically, I did a great job. And some of these people, just like Jeff's, went straight from sitting at the desk to standing in front of the class to teach. Because private school teachers don't need college degrees. Ah. Of mm. course, education wasn't really the point. The school itself actually had labor and delivery rooms ready to go when the girls were ready to give birth. Because if they gave birth there, the pregnancy wouldn't be on the record at the hospital. Mm. And uncomfortable questions wouldn't have to be answered. Yeah, like, uh, is the father of this baby your father? Which would happen again and again. And also, they were it kept their numbers off the official, any sort of official census. Mm. So that the idea is also make sure that no one knew quite how many people were living in these communities. Mm-hmm. But other women, you know, who were, I guess, deemed uh, not a risk, uh, what they would do is they would um, marry, men would marry their first wife. And every single wife after that would be a single mother. And all of them would get welfare, as Uh, much welfare as they possibly could, pumping the system as hard as they possibly could. working that scam. Oh, yeah. That's how they bleed the beast. And that's how they'd get all of the the benefits they were going for. And it's got many things. And it also isolates you. It also gives you a good sense from when you were a little kid that there was literally no escape. Mm Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, this school is where Jeff's abuse began. He beat the boys so hard with yardsticks that the instruments would break, and he would run his fingers over girls' legs under the guise of checking to make sure their dresses were long enough. Apparently, they called him the the dress policy cop because none of them fully understood why Warren Jeffs was so obsessed with what the girls were wearing to school and that he wanted to make sure like he created the dress code and that he would bring girls in there alone again and again to check to make sure that they were wearing proper clothes good lord i mean i was uh i wasn't allowed to wear wrestling shirts my senior year yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i remember code. yeah the catholic school yeah was the, yeah remember that it was the attitude era yeah it's a stone yeah. cold had a lot of blood on his shirts mm-hmm. and stuff yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's imagery. the same yeah. yeah no it's totally it's different it's just yeah. totally different just they made me tuck in my t-shirts yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that's that's actually normal <laughs> those, those i was encouraged to be an individual <laughs> yeah but this is obviously uh extremely abusive yeah but that was the small stuff and here's a warning because it's about to get horrible While at the school, Warren Jeffs repeatedly anally raped his four nephews when all of them were between the ages of five and seven. And it wasn't just Warren who did it either. One of those boys who wrote a book on the subject called Lost Boys said his other uncles, along with Warren, would take turns raping him in the children's bathroom while the older children were at sermons. And while they were doing it, the men would ramble on about how this was all a secret initiation into the priesthood and that everyone did it. But if the boy ever told anyone, he would be eternally damned. 
it's uh. very, very co- uh, convenient. And also, uh, this time, Rulon's still alive. So Warren Jeffs is the favorite son of the prophet, yeah. which adds another like second layer because he's not fully the prophet yet. No. But Warren Jeffs, like true predators often do, understood that eventually he would be the prophet. And so he's setting a groundwork of abuse deep inside, like like setting a ribbon of it through the entire church <clears throat> so that when he took full power, it's almost like you have groomed an entire generation into accepting that this is a part of what God's will is. And it is hard to understand how powerful Warren Jeffs was because now he's obviously just the wormy, weird, impotent man jerking off in prison. Mm-hmm. But you think about he is the descendant of a prophet. Mario Batali could only make sweet cakes. <laughs> yes. He was still able to basically have a factory of people that he was able to abuse. So that is the level of power we're talking here. Yeah, we're talking the power of God. Power structures, it's in, in, it's, that's why it's really important for people on the tops of, the, of so-called either corporate or social pyramids to understand that they have this agency. That's what they don't. That's what we're de- dealing with as a society right now, where it's stuff like Warren Jeff shows is a perfect example of when you breed it all in. Because also it starts with this sentence that he does a lot, the, the motto of the academy, which was perfect obedience produces perfect faith. So after 13 years of Warren Jeffs being allowed to do this shit Ugh. to kid after kid after kid, and after he picked up two wives... Rulon Jeffs became the prophet of the FLDS, and Warren became his right-hand man. Now, Rulon played fast and loose with a lot of the rules of Mormonism. Rulon was a vodka man, and the kids were all warned about taking a sip from his ever-present tumbler filled with what he called grandfather water. It's the most normal thing I've heard yet. <laughs> yes, it truly is. the only thing that is like, yeah, that's what every grandfather calls their, the thing in their special cup. <laughs> yeah. And Rulon governed like a classic cult leader as well, stripping wives and children from men and giving them to those he deemed worthy, while also taking adolescent wives of his own. But in 1998, Rulon had a major stroke. He got, <laughs> he was gross before, but when he had the stroke and like half his face is fucked up and then, you know, he's the leader of the prophet. But this motherfucker just would not die. He's just Mm-mm. turning more and more of a question mark in a chair, literally screaming, why can't I go? Why can't <laughs> I die? <laughs> and they have to all kind of be like, oh, Rulon, it's time for you to have another wife. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Warren, who'd been waiting for the opportunity to take control for years, he stepped up and said that while his father now had the outward mental capacity of a child, Rulon could still command, and Warren would be his father's mouthpiece. Pretty soon, Warren was making predictions and saying that his dementia-ridden father was really the one making them. Oh yeah, I think that's what the I think that's what the top aides of Bob Dole are doing. Now. <laughs> yes, no, Bob Dole definitely wants us to buy an apple. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> First, Warren predicted the apocalypse would come in September of 1998. Oh, way yeah. too early, Warren. Way too early. Come on. When we all survived that, it was moved to October, then December. When that didn't happen either, he amended the date to reflect the 111st birthday of the man who had been in charge before Rulon. Yeah, Leroy Johnson. Yeah. And when that didn't come either, Warren went classic coke with the whole thing and said the world would end. Guess when? 
2001, 9-11, 2001. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, a good guess, though. Yeah, good guess, but January 1st, 2000. Oh, New my God. Yeah, Y2K, Y2K. Y2K. You remember how scared we were? Oh, yeah. I ate a lot of chili. <laughs> my parents stocked up on that sweet Hormel. I tell you what, Mom and Dad, if we're going up to heaven, with the whole, I mean, they're going to come to rapture. They're going to get me with a whole lot of chili diarrhea. Yeah, they will. <laughs> I loved it. I was driving around with my buddy Wes listening to Corn talking about how much this town sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, man. Corn was awesome. If you ate a bunch of chili and you got raptured, do you think the chili shit would just be left behind and you disappear? <laughs> That's a I think the bodies are left behind. The soul gets raptured. No, the bodies. No, 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 no bodies. This body and soul. Because mm. remember that bumper sticker? In the event of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Yeah, but that's a bumper yeah. sticker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a toss up. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think, heard it was always the soul. I think it's the, bo- it's the body and the soul, I think. We could have this, All the TV we stuff could have tells this. me that it's. Yeah, but yeah. it's all made up. So I'm just going to say. <laughs> yes. I have always heard it was the soul. But when the turn of the millennium came and went, Jeff said that it was because his people had been too sinful. They weren't worthy. And as a result, the can was kicked down the road to the 2002 Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. Okay. Yep. Yep. People just accepted it. Sure. They just fell in line. What else did they have? They're victims, so. They fell in line like they always did. Because by the time Warren Jeffs was in power, whoever was the leader of the FLDS had complete control over these people. Mm. It was an entrenched power system. All you had to do was plug a dude into that top spot and they would do whatever he said, no matter what. Mm. Well, both of these kind of had, all of these stories happened on the outskirts of society. This was in a place called Short Creek. This was, they had to move from Short Creek. They ended up going even deeper into seclusion. So these guys are already like, they are fucking in a, a, a prison of their own making. Oh, yeah. And because of the Short Creek Raid, the U.S. government is not dabbling with, with fucking with them at all. They view them as these sort of, like, enclaves of, well, let these weirdos have their religious freedom and they can do whatever they want. And what what that is is creating this whole thing of an entire culture of we can do whatever the fuck we want here and no one's coming to save you. Well, that's also Ruby Ridge and it's also Waco. The government was... Uh it's a, a lot of mud on their face after uh, after Waco specifically. This is an unintended consequence of Waco. Yes. Uh, where yeah. they just, they knew bad shit was going down there. P- women were coming out and telling them like that, how awful shit was. Right. And still they were like, I don't really feel like it. And this was well known. I mean, 2020, Dateline, like they were doing investigative reports on this for a while. Mm-hmm. So you oh, can yeah. all just watch that because it's all modern history. Yeah. And it's still happening. Don't think that this shit went away with Warren Jeffs. No, it's absolutely still happening. And it isn't just the women who are treated horribly in the FLDS either. All the children are abused in one way or another. Mm. And both young boys and men can be excommunicated for no reason worse than the prophet saw them in a bad dream. And if a young boy is excommunicated, then the family is forced to abandon the child by the side of the road. They just drive up the road a little bit mm. and throw them out like a fucking dog. Like I, people used to do when I was a kid. They used to throw out dogs oh. at the side of the road right next to our house because they knew we would take care of them. You got to take w- care of and them. And we would. That's uh. how I got Velma, who was one of my favorite oh. dogs. Velma was a circus dog. She walked on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> that is cute. I'm just going to say, looking at, the, looking at the bright side of this, though, if you are excommunicated, you're just like, so I get to go? Like, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you, right? Some the problem is. Is, is that they have no clue 
what to do with their right, lives. Right, right. So this would become also, a group yeah. of dudes that would go on, go on to be self-identified as lost boys. Right, right. And a lot of times, I mean, I mean, you know, honestly, it seems like a lot of them fell into drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of them fell because they lost their whole infrastructure. They had no schooling. They, right. uh, they were left. They could barely read. All of a sudden, they have to figure out how to pull together a whole life. They got to figure out how to live in a modern society. Right. And these callings would happen again and again. Every single time, people would get closer to threatening the internal power structure mm-hmm. of Warren Jeffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple of them got a TV show, though. Hey, yep. the, you remember the that? American hey. Dream. <laughs> <laughs> and really, the rank and file men of the FLDS are no more than drone workers. Many of them leave school in the third grade and begin a life of nothing but hard manual labor. Mm. The author of Prophet's Prey said that he personally saw boys as young as eight working commercial construction projects, driving heavy machinery, setting cement. These boys were so short that the hammers that hung from their work belts drugged the ground. So he looked up, there was a fucking eight-year-old walking on an I-beam. Jeez. They truly went all the way back where children are workforce. So they were having as many kids as humanly possible and throwing them into gigantic construction projects. So a part they would undercut. There was like the, so a lot of the surrounding community would be super mad at the FLDS groups, especially Warren Jeffs groups, because they could fucking undercut all these other projects coming together because they don't charge as much because they got kids doing free labor. Can you imagine, guys, if at eight years old we were supposed to do construction, Marcus <laughs> would just be digging, I would just be like, how do we make a bounce house? And then, Henry, I think that you would just probably be trying to set up a burger stand or something. Um, I just disappear into the woods. <laughs> I don't. I think that at some point I'd be like, uh, y'all, <laughs> I'm more of like, uh, I do funny voices. That's a good thing I like to do. And I like watching movies and I like movie trivia. So I can help with that. But otherwise, oh, oh. <laughs> I believe it. That's how I'd get kicked out of the army, too. I had some pretty intense archaeological digs when I was eight years old, so don't yeah. malign my dig. I mean, my digging skills were pretty fucking nuts then. It is literally the opposite of building a building. <laughs> it's digging no, into the ground. I would make dugouts. That's okay. what I would make. When I learned what dugouts were, you build something into the side of a hill. It's all digging. It's building by digging. That's what he likes. <laughs> all right, all right. That makes sense. I get it. I get it. Well, if Warren Jeffs had a bad feeling about any kid at any time, they were gone. One 12-year-old boy was dropped off by the side of the highway by his own father Ugh. after Warren called the boy a bad seed. That's all he said. He's a bad seed. And so the b- father went, dropped him off by the fucking highway. And, of course, this all plays great for the higher-ups because less men means more women. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's very important for FLDS members because only a man who has three wives can reach the highest kingdom of heaven. Three wives is dumb, man. That's not what you're talking about. You need more than that, my friend. Three wives is a starter pack for an FLDS <laughs> husband. I don't know if this is a proper segue or not, but you said the kid was a bad seed, and yeah. I want to say Prophet's Prey, mm-hmm. the documentary. Nick Cave did a great job creating the score for that documentary. Oh, yeah. 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 I love Nick Cave scores. He, he is the best. Well, as far as women go, those in the FLDS believe that they can't even enter heaven until they have a priesthood head, otherwise known as a husband. And since Mormons are taught that they can, in fact, go to hell from the age of seven on, you can see how a young girl might be anxious to enter into a marriage as soon as possible, because no husband means no heaven. 
So, by the early part of this century, the academy where Jeffs taught was sold, the Salt Lake City United Effort Project closed up shop, and the entire operation moved to Colorado City, Arizona. Mm. And there, Jeffs started tweaking rituals. He maintained that everyone had been getting the blood atonement ritual wrong all along, and what the founders had really meant was that sinners and apostates should actually be killed on a stone altar in a sacred place. So he went even farther and tried to bring it even deeper undercover and saying we need to start doing sacrifices for the Lord. Interesting. This reminds me of the the church that y'all went to in Edinburgh that just had the guillotine in the back of the church. Yeah. That would just 200 people a day, and then they put the guillotine back in the back of the church, and then they say, let's pray. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the sinner would be bound to a rock where the high priest would place a mask on the victim. Then the victim's throat would be cut ear to ear, mm. just as the punishment oath says. And the priesthood would drink the blood and burn the body as an offering to God. Yeah, man, you're reasonable. He's going straight primitive with this. Mm. He's going oh, back yeah. to the early days. Mm. Now, Jeff's never actually did this, as far as we know. That's not for lack of trying. He came very close at least once after a girl named Vanessa Robach was rebaptized by a rival FLDS sect after she had run away from an abusive marriage. That's the thing. Warren Jeffs is just one part of the FLDS. It's a large part. It's mm. a very large mm-hmm. part, mm-hmm. but he's still just one part. They all viewed him as the outlier, though. Mm-hmm. So the other ones were all like, well, Warren Jeffs is kind of weird. We just have a lot of wives over here, and yeah, they can't do a lot, but Warren Jeffs, he's a fucking weirdo. He's mm-hmm. a super weirdo. Yeah. Now, the rebaptism was bad enough, but when this girl requested to marry her boyfriend, a man she had chosen, Jeffs wanted nothing more than to tie her to a rock and slit her throat. Mm. And he even began making preparations to do it. He started telling people, go out, find her, bring her to me. Go and get, go to Target. <laughs> And get one of those big styrofoam rocks that they have in the in because the, it's summertime, and we got to do with it. It's one of those fun things you get in the decoration section. We just do it. Just get it done. <laughs> I want to see her blood. But thankfully, word got to the FBI before Jeffs could get the girl. And once the FBI got involved, Jeffs took a step back. But now, Jeffs was on the FBI's radar. Yay! And he wouldn't leave it until the day he was arrested. And all this time, Jeffs was still saying that orders were coming from his now 92-year-old stroked-out father, Mm. who on his more lucid days would still be wheeled out to the church to yell catchphrases like this. The judgments of God are upon you! (laughs) And then straight up like this, where Warren Jeffs... They would go like, Warren Jeffs is now the perfunctory leader of the church. He's leading sermons and be like... But I'm not the prophet here. It's just like, we need to speak with my father and see what my father says. And they would wheel him out and straight up, like, hit him with their elbow. Mm-hmm. And you go, it doesn't you God or brand you. <laughs> and it's like, all right, great work, Rulon. Wow. Great work. And when they were done with Rulon, they just wheel him back to his room. Yeah. Bye-bye, Rulon. Bye-bye. Would you not have me facing the wall this time? I would love... Can I face the, the television, please? When will I go? When will I die? Technically, you just went in your pants again, sir. <laughs> yeah. 
But still, Rulon was the leader as far as the people were concerned. Uh, and Warren started spreading rumors that he would live for centuries. Because <laughs> he's doing so great at 92. Uh, he survived. When will I die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the man is demanding death. <laughs> and Warren used his father in other ways as well. Warren married girls off to Rulon well into Rulon's 80s and 90s uh. just to take him off the board. And Rulon would still manage to have sex with these young girls. I firmly believe Anna Nicole Smith loved that man. <laughs> and if that's what we want to talk about now. No, uh, young girls disgusting. Like 13-year-old girls. Oh, okay. Well, I don't I know, know if she loved him, but she was fine with it. But the idea of bring him into Rulon Jeff's room, which is the secret little room, and he's like, bring him closer, bring him closer. And then they go, and he's like, this is your new wife, Uncle Rulon. And then they would just pop her up on your knee, and you'd have to sit there and stroke old man Rulon's crotch while Warren Jeffs watched you because they had to make sure that the relationship could be consummated. So they would have these these moments where they would gar- they would do a boner check on Rulon. I'm not even making this up. That they would go and literally like blink, 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 plink, plink his penis to mm. see if they could still get it up in order to get her going. But the thing is, is that Rulon liked him a little bit older than Jeffs did. He liked them to be 17, 18, more legal. Well, Warren Jeffs would get them far, far too young to be with Rulon, and then Warren Jeffs would sleep with them first to ready them for their husbands. But Rulon finally died on September 8th, 2002, from septic shock as a result of an obstructed bowel. Uh oh. Which came as an honest to God shock to the FLDS. Another one died from a shit disease, just like Brigham Young. Everyone sincerely thought that Rulon was going to live for centuries and that upon his death, God would enter the room and bless Rulon with a new young body. Woo! The only person who didn't believe this, it seemed, was Warren Jeffs, because Warren Jeffs was ready. It's almost like he was counting upon his death to, in order to be totally in charge. And there are some intimations, if you listen, if you watch both Damn to Heaven and Prophets Pray, which are both essential documentaries on this topic, they both believe that Warren Jeffs might have essentially murdered Rulon Jeffs by feeding him heavy fat foods and giving him more booze to drink as he got older. But it's like, he I, still lived to the fucking age of 92. Like, he didn't have to feed a lot to a 92-year-old man to fucking kill him. Yeah, I think he just died. Uh, Out of all yeah. the horrible things that Warren Jeffs did, because I, I remember that too, and I'm like, I don't know, dude. Like, Well, I don't know, man. After uh, his father died, he married his father's nurse and kept her in hiding. Yeah, but Warren Jeffs is oh, yeah. Scott. I mean, I don't know. No, kept her in hiding so she wouldn't tell his secrets. Oh, so she couldn't God. tell people any of this shit. Oh, and, my goodness. And two days after his father died, Warren swooped in and took his father's quote-unquote best wives for himself and handed what he considered to be the undesirables to lesser men. I wish I could tell you that this is going to get like an easier listen, mm. but it's really not. It's going to get a lot more. This is, we have definitely saved the worst for last in this, well, this series. Is, it's, it's the most recent. so. Yeah. But for Jess, this wasn't just about power. It was also about the money. Now, although the FLDS at large sits at around 30,000 members, only about 10,000 are under the control of Warren Jeffs. And every bit of money those people make gets funneled back into the church, into the UEP. 
And it wasn't like they were just taking money from like low-wage construction workers. They're not getting $5 donations, $10 donations. The UEP owned the contracting businesses and owned the factories where these people were employed. And it all got funneled back to the UEP. To tell you how big these businesses were, Rulon Jeffs himself founded Utah Tool and Die, which eventually came to be known as Hydropack. And if the name Hydropack sounds familiar, it's because they were the subcontractor who built the faulty O-rings, which caused the Challenger shuttle to explode in 1983. The original O-rings of the Challenger shuttle were built in the living room of Polygamous. This is not even a fuck. That's not a bit. That is not an exaggeration. The first models were just built in some guy's fucking house in the middle of Arizona and sent to Cape Canaveral to attach to a spaceship. I'm just going to say NASA should have known something was weird when a truck pulls up driven by a 10-year-old and then all the <laughs> O-rings are delivered by 9- and 12-year-olds. Children built these things, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, are we, are, are, wait a second. Is, does your factory, is it in Neverland? <laughs> Good God. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, that is really remarkable, though. It's huge. I mean, it's a national tragedy that these people are directly responsible for. Directly responsible for, but also this follows back to, you know where the first seed this started with? Joseph Smith's Hotel. Yeah. Mm. This is the first thing of him at first explaining that Mormons need to be good at business and they need to make a lot of cash. So what they did, which was the way they worked it, it was that they had so much free labor. They could build these massive construction corporations where they are just pumping out work Mm -hmm. as fast as humanly possible. And they're making millions of dollars a month. Yeah. Now, after his father's death, Warren Jeffs decided that he'd do something that hadn't been done since the days of Joseph Smith. Jeffs decided to write his own holy book, co-dictated by God himself mm. and the now-dead Rulon Jeffs. I can't believe they got Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And so Jeffs, like Nixon, decided to record damn near every thought that came into his head, no matter how awful. He called this his priesthood record, and he used it to justify his crimes against children. Mm. Jeff said that his plan was to teach the young people that there was no such thing as underage marriage and that the older men who married young girls were actually protecting them if the girls would, quote, look at it right. The way they called it, they called it raising them up. They'd raise them up from a child because if you look, remember the first instinct of this to to cling it back to was Brigham Young. When he said you could marry a 12-year-old, but you can't touch her until, like, you should let her turn into an adult. 13-year-old. Or 13-year-old. Jeffs is doing the same shit, but he um he's not waiting for them to turn into adults. And he observed all this from a purely criminal perspective as well. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He, yeah! He said that he would have to marry more girls as young as 12, not just to test the parents— but as a test to all of his people to see if they would snitch on the prophet. He had to flaunt it. He had to show all of them, I'm doing this. Right. Jeff's even started making his own child pornography and would keep it all locked away in a safe. But around 2003, the state of Utah was starting to turn their attention to polygamy once more. Mm. If you want to ruin an afternoon, look up Warren Jeff's uh, sex tape. 
He has this tape. There's not, it's not visual, and you can't hear anything, but they played it in court during his trial. And it has a series of instructions of him talking to his brides in one room where he is instructing them how to properly please their husbands, and they have to practice on him. Well, Utah convicted an FLDS cop named Rodney Holm of bigamy and sexual assault with a minor because his third wife had been only 16 years old. And that girl testified that it had been not only her husband who had abused her, but her sister wives as well. Mm. So the story we heard over and over again when it comes to sister wives is that if one woman doesn't stay sweet, then the others will beat her, lock her away from her children, and emotionally abuse her in any way they deem necessary. That's how you got your favorite wives. Because the favorite wives are the ones that were the real taskmasters that would hold up the status quo Mm. so it wouldn't fuck up their own lives too. Yeah, they're beating each other to try to get to the one who's at the top. Right, right. Now, people have been coming out of FLDS for years with stories of abuse, but with the conviction of Rodney Holm, things started turning. In Mm. August of 2003, the Utah Attorney General, Mark Shirtless, said point blank that he was coming for Warren Jeffs. All right. And so, Jeffs went underground and established three further outposts, pretty much abandoned Colorado City. Okay. One outpost was in South Dakota. The other was in Mancos, Mancos, Colorado. And the most infamous was built in the small government paradise of West Texas near the town of San Angelo. Mm. And this is when it really hits me how recent all this is. Because mm-hmm. my friend Megan's parents actually lived in San Angelo when me and Megan were in college, when we were going mm. to college together. And Megan vividly remembers prairie dress clad sister wives from the Warren Jeffs compound wandering around Walmart. Jeez. Oh, yeah, dudes. Buying shit in bulk. Because now he's completely in hiding. And so people are actively looking for him. And Mm -hmm. he goes completely off the radar. And he says, which is an occult leader's fucking perfect Mm -hmm. world. I'm being persecuted for my beliefs because they know I'm the one true savior. So now I am going to go and live these separate lives. And he has his favorite wives that he keeps with him in a fucking SUV at all times. Like a little fucking female army with his fucking like coterie of what he'd end up calling the God Squad. A Mm. bunch of fucking big youths that would rove around in blacked out SUVs. So that would be his like security detail everywhere he went. Sounds like Gaddafi surrounded by women and people who look like Bane from Batman. Yes. Yes. I don't want to make, I don't want to be, I'm just adding a little levity here. Um, how good are the deals at Walmart? Like, it seems as if he was willing to give up his location, willing to lose everybody by sending them to Walmart because they're rolling yes. back prices. And so he's just like, no, we got to go to Walmart. You got to understand mac and cheese is 79 cents. The best part about Walmart is that you can get a mattress, you could get a gallon of milk, or you can get a shotgun. well from what uh megan would tell me the mormon women the flds women in walmart would pointedly not talk to anyone oh i'm sure that they would make a point to not speak with anyone at all like like nobody else even fucking existed yeah and i'm sure they wouldn't just be no one goes alone either i'm sure they have a kind of a snitch system as well yeah yeah of course And so, Jeff started bouncing between the three settlements, building a twisted society of his own making, often wandering the grounds in a haze, experiencing revelation after revelation. In fact, it's worth noting that some argued that Warren Jeffs 
could very well be schizophrenic because mm. schizophrenia runs pretty deep on his mother's side of the family. But on the other hand, Jeff's could also just be extremely calculating. Mm-hmm. I am not going to put anything towards him having mul- uh, <clears throat> mental illness. The more, I mean, sure, you could say whatever you want. I would definitely not blame this on schizophrenia. No. I think that he is no. an extremely cunning and able predator. Yes. That, under, that was born into a perfect scenario for a predator, and he fucking rid it as hard as he could. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. we have to be careful not to escape. Mental illness is very real. Of course. But you know who else had mental illness? Or you know who had mental illness? Daniel Johnson. Yeah, and he yeah. just made incredible. Brian news. Wilson. Brian Wilson. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Marcus Morris. <laughs> yes. So I, I am. We're I, all right. I agree with both of you guys. This man is very calculating. Obviously, something was loose. But. Yeah. Yeah. Warren Jeffs would look up designs for mainstream LDS churches online and pass the designs off as his own, saying they came oh, yeah. directly from God. But Jeffs usually added a little flair of his own to the design. In one design, Jeffs commanded the construction of a hardwood bed frame on wheels that would be used during special ceremonies. The frame was covered in a table, and when the table was opened, it revealed a mattress and ropes. There is a thing that he liked to talk about, which I couldn't find the real explanation for anywhere, called the Law of Sarah. That he would do this, he would have public sex with his wives in front of his other wives inside the inner sanctum of the temple while attached to this bed. And the bed literally had a staircase that you could roll up to it because it was like six feet tall. So you could roll up to it like I will have one day in my discerning adult's bedroom. Okay. It's <laughs> interesting. In another temple... Jeffs tried installing an incinerator that could reach temperatures as high as 2,700 degrees, twice as hot as a crematorium. He requested this specifically. It has to be twice as hot as a crematorium. And when the guy who was Hmm. tasked to build it refused unless Jeffs would tell him what the fuck it was for, Jeffs fired the guy rather than give away the game. It's pottery. I'm making pottery. (laughs) I guess I'll never get my own-fashioned-style charred pizza. (laughs) I love pizza, and I just can't get it charred enough, and I just wish that pizza could be more burnt. (laughs) You know what? It it does matter. Mm -hmm. It does matter. Like a good hard crust. Oh, I don't like it. I like a hard crust. I like a good soft crust. Like a hard crust. I like a hard crust. What really baffles me about Warren Jeffs is that, well, you know, if you think about it, Mm -mm. Jim Jones... Yeah, he sounded like Droopy Dog, but he could still whip up a room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By contrast, Jeff's sounded like a fucking deflated balloon filled with Droopy Dog's liquid shits. Mm. He sounds fucking awful. Maybe they feel pity for him then, so then they say, oh, he can't be a bad man. Look how meek he is. A little, I, you know what's strange? I think that you're accidentally correct a little bit. I'm not I accidentally he, correct. <laughs> I am purposely <laughs> correct. I think he is. It does like appearing to be weak. And he, it, but it's also just like he's kind of born into this, so he doesn't have to try hard. That's exactly. true. Exactly. We'll take a listen to an excerpt from one of his sermons. I hope all of you can see that you're drawing closer together through me, through priesthood, and the confidence is creating a heaven between us, always directable by the priesthood over you. Remember, purity is to do all that you do through the power of the Spirit of God and be directable by the priesthood over you. 
And in those revelations, the Lord said, be willing to do whatever he directs through your husband. We believe in revelation. Walk in the light, and the light will grow in you. Walk in the light, and the light will grow within you. And pray for everyone else to succeed, including the children. Pray me there, ladies. Get me there. The Lord will, if you'll have faith. I want to apologize to everyone who crashed their cars. Please don't blame the podcast. You can blame Warren Jeffs. But, you know, if he's setting the tone and for a very quiet, meek people, I guess to them that must seem energetic. Well, this speech in particular was him trying to convince a group of his wives about being comfortable being nude around him. Because he had, for years, set up a doctrine of you need to be fully clothed. And that's the only way that you will be heavenly. It's the only way you are pure. Mm. With this whole side movement, he's trying to then be like, no, but because I'm your husband, it's totally cool for you guys to be fucking super freaky with me. Mm. Even though you don't even know what the hell that means. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And honestly, we're just giving you the extremely broad strokes here when it comes to Warren Jeffs. If you want the full story, please go read Sam Brower's mm. Prophet's Prey, because this story really is fantastically complicated, but still fascinating. Absolutely, especially mm. when you the cat and mouse game that goes to try and find him. The problem is it's like it's another three hours yeah. of podcast. Mm. So this is a story that if you really want to get into those nitty gritty details of like just how long he was on the run, read read Prophet's Prey. Yeah. In fact, it was the testimony of the men who wrote the two books source today that finally made the state of Texas raise the legal age of marriage from fourteen to seventeen. Okay. Because no representative was gonna publicly argue against that. Right. I think we should make it nine. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, man, I can't believe I said it out loud. <laughs> oh, my gal. You never know. You might get reelected. Mm -hmm. And it was partly through the investigative work of Sam Brower that Warren Jeffs was finally taken down. On June 8, 2005, Jeffs was indicted on two felony counts of sexual misconduct. Then, after further investigation, the FBI finally placed Warren Jeffs on their top 10 most wanted list. Yay! And within three months, he was arrested during a routine traffic stop outside of Apex, Nevada. Now, when the cops pulled him over, Jeffs, Jeffs gave the oddly pedophilic name of John Findlay. <laughs> and he said it like that with his fingers. Or, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like when Tom Hanks played that like scary guy with the uh, with the black suit and all the pumpkins on SNL. Oh yeah, remember uh, him? Yeah, yeah, a funny character. Was it Alvin Pumpkins? Something like that. Uh, Jim, uh, to one of those guys. Yeah, I think it's Tommy Pumpkins. I don't remember <laughs> the character. He's funny though. But during this time period, so he'd be on the road. So what he did was that he knew the jig was up. <sighs> so for about a, a couple months, he went on. A full-on vacation with his favorite wives, and he would dress in like he dress in like a who farted shirt, <laughs> wore shorts. They fucking listened to a lot of fucking classic rock on a motorcycle. He had a little motorcycle, and he was zipped all around. Jeez. And his job was to go, and he wanted to show his wives the act. Actual monuments of the LDS, the mainstream Mormon church, so they could see the history of where they came from, but also wanted to expose them to the true wickedness of the outside. So he'd buy lots and lots of pornography and show it to them. And also he took them to Mardi Gras yeah. to see just how disgusting 
disgusting Mardi Gras was, even though they just had a good time. Right, yeah, right. Technically. And Unbelievable. Then, and then after Mardi Gras, they went to Mardi Gras in 2005, and Warren Jeffs said that God shall take this wicked generation from this earth. And then when Katrina hit a couple months later, Warren Jeffs took credit. Said, so he, I did that. I did that. That was me. I did that. Yeah, it's yeah. the same. Yeah, he pulled a Lloyd right out. He mm-hmm. accidentally got something mildly correct. Accidentally. I mean, not, obviously it wasn't God, but a storm did occur. Yeah, a storm did occur, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, when Jeffs was pulled over and gave the name John Findlay, uh, nobody in the car could really agree who owned the car or where they were going or anything like that. So the cops arrested all of them because obviously something extremely fishy was going on right. here. And inside the car was $67,000 in cash, 10000 in prepaid credit cards, three iPods, several laptops, and the keys to 10 brand new luxury SUVs. Damn. This is just a yep. fraction right. of what Warren Jeffs had at his disposal. The pact at the end was worth $110 million. Mm. And it was all his money to do whatever the fuck it is he wanted to do with it. Yeah, he Damn. was in charge of the entire thing. Mm. And when the cops searched one of the laptops, they found a video of Jeff's raping a 12-year-old girl. Oh, God. Do you, why do you think that he filmed all of this shit? Do you think it was to... Do you think it's like the traditional, like, he's trying to keep people in play by seeing other people's faces on these videos? Because he recorded all of his crimes. Yeah. I think he recorded it for the same reason that, you know, BTK took the driver's license of Vicky Weggerly. He wanted to relive yeah. it. He just wanted to watch it. It's a fucking trophy. He might have had that Epstein-like thing, too, where he's like, this whole, like, 18 thing is a fad. <laughs> you know, this is, it's yeah. going to pass. They're going to see how cool this is. Yeah. What a fucking scumbag. I feel bad. That's a rough day to be an agent. Real rough. It's good to get him off the streets, though. Yeah. So... Jeffs was extradited to Utah, where he slowly began to deteriorate under the pressure of being locked up. Eventually, in one jailhouse interview, Jeffs said this. I'm not the prophet. I never was the prophet. You know what? You can't take it back. Yeah. At this no, point, you really can't. Yeah, take you it can't. Back. You might as well just lean in. I mean, because also with the amount of pressure he put on, it's because he was also doing the. He was trying to really go in the model of the ancient Mormon heroes. So the what would end up being the YFC Ranch mm. is the YFC Ranch, the Yearning for Zion Ranch, ended up becoming this massive construction in Denver. That was like his final. Like the last spot that he was trying to hide, mm. where they went, they built a whole town, and they that temple's still there. Yeah, no outside. Yeah, outside, it's closer. It's closer to the town of uh, El Dorado. Mm. Uh, it's fucking creepy. It's yeah. it's sitting out there. You know, like empty. These, I assume. And these people would no. It's still full of uh, Mormons at this point. It's still got people oh, living there, right? Oh yeah, man! Fucking Lyle Jeffs is still in charge. Yeah, Warren Jeffs is still technically in charge. Yeah, mm. we'll get into we'll a little bit more of this, but yeah, it, it's still kicking. Yeah, mm-hmm. like after Jeffs was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, he seemed to regain his faith in himself. He did, and went back on everything he said. Well, did you hear about this shit? The way he would do during what he did during his sentencing, how he stood up. 
Like, again, everyone was just like, sit down, please sit down. He stood up, he listened to his sentencing, and then he walked and he looked at people's faces, each one of the jurors. He looked into their faces and, like, was, like, challenging them. He went full fucking nut bar. Yeah. Right. And to this day, Warren Jeffs issues commands to his followers Mm. from prison. When Jeffs called from jail and told his followers that from then on, everyone had to put their right sleeve on before their left, they did it. When he told them that they couldn't eat squash, onions, cabbage, milk, potatoes, or corn, they did it. Not allowed to wear red because Jesus is going to come back in a red suit. Yeah. Like Eddie Murphy. Really? (laughs) No kidding. And they absolutely do not believe anything anyone says about Warren Jeffs except for Warren Jeffs. Wow. Hmm. Today, these people look at Warren Jeffs as a martyr. At one meeting house in Colorado City, they have a replica of Warren's jail cell to remind the faithful of the sacrifices their prophet has made. Oh. Oh, yeah, dude. And he said, because that's part of what he's saying. He's being in prison for their sins. Right. The reason why the world didn't end was because they weren't holy enough. So now he is the one who's truly accepting these on his own. He also is like, he's being very strange in jail. Apparently, he is seen motionless for hours. He does masturbate so much that he is constantly reprimanded by his jailers. Mm. And also, he prays. He at one point he <clears> was <throat> praying so much his the skin on his knees split open from kneeling, and he had lesions and he would bleed through all of his, pl- his prison uniforms. But his son, his brother's still in charge. All yeah. right. And to this day, they believe that Warren will eventually be freed from prison because here's the thing: Warren Jeffs still has all his fucking money owing to a district court decision a few years ago. Utah had taken away control of the UEP from Warren Jeffs, but Judge D. Vance Benson gave it back, which put $110 million back in Warren's control. Warren Jeffs will have that money until the day he dies. A lot of phone cards. Because it's a lot of phone cards. And he wrote a book from jail called Jesus Christ's Message to All Nations, with the first paragraph saying, in the name of God, you will release Warren Jeffs, and it will <laughs> be done. And yeah. it's like, ah, I don't think it's... No, it, they yeah. didn't do it, though, huh? That was 2011. No. He sent it to Barack Obama. Sent yeah. it to Clinton. Uh-huh. All hey. the members of Congress got one. Good, It was yeah. 958 pages. Well, as soon as yeah. Mitch McConnell becomes president, he's out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. All now, right. Now, after this episode, some might think that the FLDS is representative of all Mormons. And we want to be clear that this is not what we're saying. What we're saying is that the FLDS exists because of the way Mormonism was set up by Joseph Smith oh so long ago. And we're not saying that Mormonism at large is evil or even necessarily a bad thing. Plenty of people derive great joy and comfort from Mormonism, and they don't hurt a single soul in the process. Although, it must be said... Those same people probably aren't gay. Yes, because the uh, emails that we have received of people who believe that they have straight up, they've talked about in terms of escaping from Morgan, uh, Mormonism because of the, because it's it's so familial. Yeah. Because it's so it's so buried deep into generations that people feel like they can't leave. Be, even when, especially as a woman, it is still not a very woman-friendly fucking religion no and it is it it is because they are still viewed as baby makers but nevertheless mormonism whether we like it or not is here to stay although conversions are slowing down considerably they're still adding about three hundred thousand converts worldwide every year which is the equivalent of adding the city of cincinnati to your religion but amazingly as of last year although mormons still make up 61 percent of utah's population they are now the minority in Salt Lake City. Hmm. 
And I say, you know, if you're happy as a Latter-day Saint, then by all means, stay. But if you're someone who's listened to this entire series with guilt because you have questions about your faith, and particularly the history behind your faith, we want you to know that there's absolutely no reason for that guilt. If you want to leave, then leave. And if your family doesn't accept it or accept you for whatever reason, remember, as we always say, friends are the family you choose. And remember that there are people out there willing and able to help you overcome your fears. Because at the end of the day, just remember that the reason why you're feeling that fear and guilt is because a grave-robbing magician decided 200 years ago that he didn't feel like working his family's rock farm. And the scam he used to escape took on a life of his own, Mm. thus birthing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. God damn! All right, there it is. The Mormonism series has come to a end. That was unbelievable. damn. God damn. This is fucking... You do what you got to do, man. I guess Mormonism is fine, but I don't care anymore, especially after the last, especially after all of the history of it. And but I wonder if you what you'd see if you do go if you did go to the beginning of Christianity, like what it would be like. Yeah, if it would I mean, be I think it's extremely to similar. It. I want it, it, there's just something about knowing every inch of it. That really is like like Scientology. We know every inch of Scientology, but it still has its hold because there are it does serve its own functions. It does provide systems of support. Scientology's got a really great rehab program for people that are addicted to drugs. Do they then take everything you own? Yes, but (laughs) you're not on drugs anymore. And so that's a part of what you kind of decide that it's worth it. So I can see why people want to belong to these giant fucking families, but just understand what you are a party to when you say, yes, I am a Mormon. And don't forget, it's all just a human institution. Uh, But again, as I've said, and I'll say it again, Henry, whatever you got to do, don't hurt anyone. This life is very difficult. If you want to, there's a YouTube video that I actually did about five years ago. You can just YouTube it. It's Ben Kissel. uh, Feel free to go or something like that. I didn't Mm -hmm. talk about my experience uh, leaving the Christian faith. So, uh, or the evangelical faith more specifically. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a great way to wrap it up. Great oh, yeah. way to wrap it up. And uh, wonderfully educated. And you're right, man. It's crazy to have such recent history yeah. of a cult that now has become a solidified religion, uh, almost to the point where we had a Mormon president. So, almost. Um, so close. It was, so no, close. I mean, not really. But <laughs> it was, but, it was I mean, pretty, the fact it that he got close, there. It was 50-50 shot. Yeah, <laughs> it was a pretty close election. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we, we are going on the road. Uh, to sort of switch gears here a little bit. We cannot wait to see everyone. We are going to end up. We're going to Henry's, I don't know, the place where you became a man. My adopted home. Your adopted Florida. home. We're going to Florida. Guys, don't disappoint us here. All right. This is how you're going to start that. sold out. You sound like an <laughs> yeah. Andrew Yang email. Okay, guys, <laughs> we need to talk. Let's get our shit fucking together here, okay, guys? Because Tampa is doing great. We're almost sold out in Tampa. I need people to come to O-Town. Go. Get your oxy. This is the time. Don't get you your oxy. Get to... We have a massive opioid epidemic. And also, I'm just what... saying, O-Town if, if is Orlando. Need it, that's where you'll get it. No one has ever called Orlando O-Town. Yeah, the band of the... The members of the band O-Town <laughs> would like to disagree with you. All right, but we need you there, man. Yes. Miami, I know a lot of our audience gets um, really sunburnt. Yes. Yeah. No, but it- <laughs> just slap on that 75 SPF. Uh, drive to Miami. Yes. We're going to have a good time. Please accompany us in Miami. Yeah. Yes. Because I don't know if there's going to be three men that 
stick out more Ooh, I'm, in a city yeah, than besides a, us in Stockholm. I am eating some Cuban food. Yeah, yeah y'all been wait. yelling at us to come to Florida for nine fucking years. So now that we're coming, come on out. Come, come, on, on, out. Out. come on out. Yeah, go to the last podcast on the left.com uh, and click on the shows tab to buy tickets to that. And uh, other shows we got coming up. We got Portland, Maine on the 21st. We got uh, Northampton, Massachusetts on the 22nd. That's uh, November. Uh, Buffalo on the 23rd. And then in December, we've got Toronto, Detroit, and Columbus on the 5th, 6th, and 7th. And Ben and Henry are going to be doing a uh, Side Stories live on November 8th in Washington, D.C. Yes, indeed. Cannot wait to see you in D.C. We really will, won't we? Because a lot has been scheduled. Unless we both die. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we will be. No, we can't die before Marcus's wedding. Yeah. I know. At the very least. And guys... Um, I also come to Los Angeles. I have uh, we're doing a classic night out with Ed Larson at the Pack Theater, October 9th at nine thirty p.m. It is free, but donations are accepted. Come on out and see us yuck it up. Absolutely, support live entertainment. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to this Mormonism series and for listening to our longest episode ever, longest episode yes. ever, <laughs> and the longest, longest series. series ever. Yes, yeah. without a we doubt. put it. But now, guys, you know what's also coming? Uh oh. Can you feel it? <gasps> leaves, leaves. Whoa! We, it is almost Halloween, and our goal now, so in these next couple weeks, we're going to get spooky. I'm very, very excited. I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about yet. Yeah, we kind but, of have been focused so hard on Mormonism that we forgot that there are going to be other episodes after Mormonism. So we're yeah, gonna, for the rest of our lives, yeah. so we have to keep doing the show for a bunch more years. Yeah, yeah. So now we got to get back into pocket, and we're going to do this. Are we going to be taking in uh, listener submissions for stories? Are we doing a listener pasta type thing? Should we plug that on here? side stories? On side, side stories, we'll be doing it. Great. On side stories, we're going to be doing in uh, for to celebrate the month of October. We will be taking in some listener submissions. Send us some creepy, spooky tales. You can go to Side Stories, L-P-O-T-L, at gmail.com. Side Stories, L-P-O-T-L, at gmail.com. Send us your stories, and uh, we're excited to read those uh, as Halloween approaches. It is. All right, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Have a great weekend. We love you very much. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Oh, hail Gene. Let's do a Magoostalations. Hail me. If y'all will... Or, you know, just not too much of hailing any other person, though, because then it becomes a cult, <laughs> and then it's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Just, just fucking just be an individual. The only kind of polygamy I'd ever do is get more dogs. Yeah, that's a good polygamy. Do, dig, do, dog, 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 dog. It sounds like you're just fucking these dogs. No, I know, Maybe they'll produce the ultimate human dog hybrid. Your your mind is, is it's, it's, as my father would say, warped. Wow. Wow. <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 